Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's happy Friday. Free agency is right around the corner, so why not break the whole thing the hell down? Joining me on today's episode, the one, the only, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, just us two. We've had some nice little tripods going recently, but what's up, man? Let's talk some freaking free agency. Why the hell not? Yeah, I love the tripods, but I, I, I like getting my Ian time as well. My one-on-one <laughs> with Ian, you know, get used to it throughout the season when we're grinding out so many. So, no, man, I'm looking forward to it. A um, lot of news to discuss. A lot of things already happening. A lot of things already happening. You are right. We're going to cover some of that to start uh, just in terms of the franchise tags. And then we're going to go team by team looking at all the free agents courtesy of OverTheCap.com. And then just kind of, you know, going through it, everyone. Next week, Dwayne and I will be back. You, we're, we're aiming for 5 p.m. at least Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. If stuff is still hitting the fan, you know, Thursday, Friday, we'll be back doing that. But basically, daily free agency breakdowns. You can check out PFF.com. We're going to have a tracker, one-off articles on more the main players we plan on covering each and every inch of this cycle and then we'll be back the week after next to once again go through all 32 teams and wrap it all up so with all that said Dwayne quickly let's talk about the guys that didn't make it to the market because they got franchise tag overall we had eight tags this year the Buccaneers franchise tag Chris Goblin Jaguars with offensive tackle Cam Robinson Packers Devontae Adams Cowboys Dalton Schultz Chiefs offensive tackle Orlando Brown Bengals got their safety back Jesse Bates the Browns Ruined my David Njoku, the Chargers' dream landing spot by re-signing David Njoku. And the Dolphins decided to, to keep Mike Jasicki as a tight end, despite my great article about this very topic. And Mike Jasicki will not be making the 18 mil uh, de- designated to a wide receiver, unfortunately. So, Dwayne, for fantasy purposes, Goblin, Adam, Schultz, Njoku, and Jasicki. I think we all kind of saw the Goblin and Adams moves coming Tight end situation that was a little more interesting, particularly with Dalton Schultz. More and more, somehow, man, we both watched every damn game this dude has played. Somehow Dalton Schultz might be the Cowboys' number two pass game option in 2022. Yeah, I mean, the rumors are that they're going to get a deal done with Gallup, right, and actually keep him, move on from Amari Cooper. None of that is final yet, but it, it looks like Jarwin, I mean, not Jarwin, uh, Schultz is yeah, he's in the top three pecking order, right? Because the Cowboys just aren't throwing that much. The running backs could get a little more as well. Um, but yeah, he could be as high as number two. I think we're, you know, putting a chip on CD Lamb to be number one. But I mean, there could be a world in where it's really a 1A, 1B. I mean, Dak Prescott really does like Dalton Schultz. Um, last year, he wasn't getting quite the routes we wanted early on. But as the season went on, obviously, Blake Jarwin got hurt. And as he saw more and more routes, like his targets per route run, didn't stay at an elite rate, but they were still really good. And so in an offense like the Cowboys, you know, where you know there's the potential to score a lot of touchdowns, they could throw the ball a little bit more next year. Yeah, I think Dalton Schultz is a guy that could be as high as like the 1B. Um, but I think probably right now, if you just had to had to make a call, I would say he's going to be just like you said, the number two option. Because even if Gallup resigns, we know with the late ACL injury, it's going to take him a little bit, you know, to get back to full strength. And we also don't know what they're going to do with Cedric Wilson. They resign Noah Brown, but you know, Noah Brown's not really a key player in the offense. That was my only question with Gallup is when he will be back from that ACL tear. Uh, January 30, and Rappaport reported Gallup suffered a clean ACL tear and will make a full recovery, but he didn't actually have the surgery until about a month later in early February. I believe I did see another report saying that that surgery went well. So I would assume, Dwayne, if they're ready to give Gallup this, you know, three- to five-year contract, they must be feeling pretty good about the knee. But at a minimum, yeah, it does look like Amari Cooper's days in Dallas are done. I get it. You can always get around that side. 
salary cap, but I think some of the you know ideas that this thing truly doesn't exist maybe uh, being hyperbolized just a little bit. What do you make of David Njoku with the Browns, Dwayne? I guess like the one kind of question here is how much longer Austin Hooper could potentially be in town. As we saw last year, when it was Harrison Bryant, David Njoku, and Austin Hooper, all great tight ends. If they were the only guy in Cleveland, we could probably wrap our minds around any of them being a tight end one. But when they're all, you know, kind of taken away from each other, it's much uh, tougher for any one of them to be a fantasy contributor. You look at Austin Hooper's deal, though, and if they want to get out of it after June 1st, um, they are actually able to. They can save $9.5 million against the cap, only eat three point eight in dead money. Let's say Austin Hooper is out of the picture here, Dwayne, because, again, if he is back on the team, it's going to be tough to trust any of these guys. With no Hooper, would you be starting to sign up for David Njoku as a potential late-round darling? Yeah, I think as a late-round darling, it's fine. But you still know you're going to have a split you know, situation. I think Harrison Bryant's still going to be very involved. He's actually <laughs> maybe flashed more than what Njoku has, really. You know, he hasn't had as quite as much playing time. So I think it's just, you know, it's it, any, you've said it before. It's pretty simple. If, if you have two tight ends, you have you don't have any tight ends. Um, and so that that's at least in fantasy to be. Yeah, at least in fantasy land. Yeah, it's not it's not an NFL thing. This is all completely focused on fantasy, but it's just going to keep you in those situations where you don't know. I mean, is he going to be at sixty percent, you know, routes per drop back? Is he going to be at forty percent? He may have a week where he's at eighty percent, unless we get a clear indication, right, that one of these guys is going to step forward. But to your point, late round, you could take a flyer because things could change. They could all of a sudden use and David and Joku could be out there for eighty percent of the routes. If that happened in this offense, this that's designed around play action, get athletic tight ends against mismatches you know in space against a lot of zone coverage things like that behind linebackers in front of safeties and Joku has that skill set he's not the greatest you know with his hands but if you can get the ball to him in an open spot right where he's not having to take contact all the time we've seen in Joku have you know some blow up spots I think Harrison Bryant, you know, is another one. Who knows? I mean, he could actually end up being the guy, you know, that wins over the job. They do have some draft capital in him. But I think Njoku is obviously the guy with the money they just gave him, you know, on the tag. He's the first one that you would take a shot on. How old do you think David Njoku is? No looking. Uh, 26. I'm guessing 25. 25, point Ian. Ha, got your ass. He'll be 26 when the season starts. All right, so that's well, all that matters, Ian. I guess you do win this round. <laughs> Damn it. All right. Last thing before we get into the team by teams. Wanted to quickly go through just the Mike Jusicki thing because, again, I did devote a lot of time to this and barked about it all year long during the year. But now that the franchise tag comes around, everyone else is catching up. Basically, I went through and I looked at the arbitration from the Jimmy Graham case. And the big kind of issue that the guy made was that, yes, Jimmy Graham lined up in the slot for a lot of his uh, snaps, but they deemed that he was within about four yards of the line of scrimmage, still doing the three points that a tight end does, catch passes, pass block, run block. And because he was still being used effectively as a tight end, even though he was lining up more in the slot, they ruled him still as a tight end. Here's the thing, though, Dwayne, that PFF, we can do just about anything. And back then, they were using some of PFF's numbers to help evaluate this. I noticed in the entire arbitration case, they never actually mentioned what percentage of snaps he was within four yards of the line of scrimmage. The guy just said he was on a lot or a majority of his snaps. I asked all of our PFF resident experts, hey, how can we get this number? We can't. We can get the specific spots on the field. If we want to know how, when Jimmy Graham lines up, you know, 23 yards from the sideline, we can do that. But we can't exactly track how far he is from the end man the line of scrimmage every single snap. 
makes me wonder if the NFL ever did this in their own case. So until we actually see numbers from anyone about the actual percentage between, you know, snaps spent four yards within the line of scrimmage, I think they're kind of pulling it out of their ass, man. And then once you actually look at those three. So, okay, not being able to clarify that was my first point. So the second thing I went to was what the NFL said about being in that position and being able to run block, pass block, and then run routes. In addition to that, when you look at Graham, run blocking, he had, let's see, uh, actually more total snaps of run blocker in the slot compared to being in line and even out wide. Pass blocking, 11 total pass blocking snaps the entire season. Guys like Demarcus Robinson, Gabriel Davis, Alan Lazard, more pass blocking snaps while playing true in-line tight end. I don't think we'd ever argue that they're playing tight end. And then in terms of the route running, man, yeah, this is kind of the major point. Everyone always brings up 92% of his routes came from the slot or out wide. So he spends as much time run blocking as a tight end as he does as a true wide receiver, never stays in for pass protection. And then when he's out in the slot or out wide, you know, he's always running his routes. So on those routes, 24% of the time he was covered by a linebacker, 15% of the time by a safety. On a high 44% of the time, it did happen to be a cornerback. Also, shout out to Siki. He called him, he's never called himself a tight end on social media, even on National Tight End Day. Dwayne, Mike Jasicki said it was more like National Big Slot Receiver Day. So, Also, um, the only person I've ever seen throw a ball over the roof of the house from the backyard, <laughs> run through the house, and then catch the ball <laughs> in the street on the other side. That was like just sick. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely legendary move from uh, Mike Jasicki. But yeah, I guess the one of the kind of wild things from this whole uh, charade that I found was Sean Payton like vehemently went against Jimmy Graham in this. He was saying like defenses cover him like a tight end. He's a tight end. Go get your boys some extra dollars. Like Sean, I'm not exactly sure what was going on there. Uh, seems like the Dolphins are taking a, you know a similar approach. It is a business. Well, if you look at the Saints' approach, always kicking the can down the road from a salary <laughs> cap standpoint, I understand why Sean Payton probably did that because they're always in cap hell that is absolutely true mr McCormick. with gasecki real quick um uh, you know him coming back to the 49 i mean coming back to you know miami you're gonna have the 49ers offense with mike mcdaniel there have seen quite a bit of activity on twitter of people just jumping straight to the oh my god it's the mike shanahan you know slash kyle shanahan offense you know we've had all these great tight ends which is totally true but one thing that we've seen from these guys and it's hurt David and Joku. David and Joku is probably the best receiving tight end on his team, but Austin Hooper was the better blocker. So what happens? David and Joku's not out there. I really worry about that with Mike Gesicki. I know they gave him the franchise tag, but look, the Dolphins have a lot of do- they have a lot of money. They have a lot of they have a lot of room as far as, you know, the cap goes. So they they could really, you know, afford, you know, if they wanted to, you know, to really spend the money on, on, on Mike Gusecki. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't like him or they love him. You know, I just think it means they had the money and they, they've got, you know, a high draft pick, you know, a second rounder invested in him. So they decided to keep him, but I don't know that folks should, you know, immediately jump to the conclusion, like what we've seen with in the past, you know, with Kittle and some of these other guys that do really well, just because Gusecki is really not good as a run blocker. And so I think that's immediately going to, just like it always has, it's going to limit his ability to stay on the field. Um, so I do think we'll, we could see more 12 personnel, and, and the Dolphins do have other tight ends that they like. So Gusecki could be out there for part of that. He'll probably get to work in the slot some. But I still struggle to see him getting to like that number we really want with tight ends, which is that 80% routes per drop back, just because of the issues he has in pass blocking. So I think he'll probably be around 60 65% maybe a little more efficiency in this better offense. You know, he probably 
get some he probably will get some better targets just off of scheme alone but i don't know that we should expect you know this big breakout year from gaseki given his limitations you know in run blocking only six nfl teams right now with fewer than 75 million devoted to their offense the dolphins the Bengals, colts bears seahawks and steelers Unlike a lot of those teams, the Dolphins, I think, are trying to, you know, compete in 2022 and beyond. Uh, we'll see, you know, what other additions they make throughout free agency. But let's get to free agency. We're going to go alphabetically through all 32 teams. Uh, shout out to OverTheCap.com. I think the best source on the Internet for all your free agent information. Going to look at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Who's a free agent? Who's restricted? You know, who's probably going to be back? Who's not? And then who are we now focusing on with all that going on in mind? So, Dwayne, we're going to start off with the Arizona Cardinals, who really present some of the most opportunity, you know, at any position. Christian Kirk, A.J. Green, um, they are both free agents and potentially could be taking their talents elsewhere. We got Christian Kirk, you know, getting dinner with Josh Allen already, for crying out loud. The tight end room is in complete turnover. Zach Ertz, Mac, Max Williams, Demetrius Harris, Daryl Daniels, all free agents. And the running back room as well, both James Conner and Chase Edmonds unrestricted free agents they did go ahead and bring back Antoine Wesley he'll be a nice death piece for them but Dwayne out of like all the offenses in the league there really isn't one that I think has more available opportunity in both the run game and the pass game than the Cardinals we have DeAndre Hopkins and maybe just maybe we have Rondale Moore sitting as the wide receiver too other than that everything is wide open right I mean I think Rondale Moore right now until we hear what happens with free agency you know and potentially in the draft I think we do have to assume that he's going to take over the slot role, you know, from Christian Kirk. The, the problem we had last year is, look, he's not going to play outside. It doesn't look like that anyway, right? They even had Antoine Wesley out there over him. So I think, you know, the best the best path for Rondell Moore is Christian Kirk does depart, you know, in free agency. Now, the nice thing with Rondell Moore, um, you know, I did the study, you know, a week ago, just looking at really, you know, PFF passing grades in a rookie season. He didn't hit the mark that we want to see um, as far as getting to a 75 or higher, but he wasn't super far off. He was at 70.7. Um, you know, so, I mean, now again, look, we know this. A lot of his touches were manufactured, very low ADOT, the lowest we've seen, like, since we've been tracking it. Um, everything, you know, from a standpoint of, you know, just playing all at the line of scrimmage. But is that Cliff Kingsbury or is that a limitation on Rondell Moore? I would argue it's probably Cliff Kingsbury. <laughs> you know, we've seen Kingsbury really get into a rut with the way he uses players. He's done it with DeAndre Hopkins. You know, he's done it with other players before. So I think we could see an expanded role for Rondell Moore this season. He did grade out at a 70.7. And so it wasn't as good as the receivers that graded out as a 75 or an 80, but there were still plenty of hits in that range. And I mean, looking at Rondell Moore, still round two, overall pick 49 last season, going into his second year. Um, you know, he'll only be 22 years old next year. So I think it's a player that for now, I definitely want to take shots at ADP with where he's at because like he's round 10 or later right now. Have an article up on pff.com where I basically took out all the unrestricted free agents from every team and look at the projected uh, target pecking order basically across positions. And yeah, with the Cardinals, Hopkins, Rondale, I guess you can put Antoine Wesley in right, uh, right now. Everything else is completely up for grabs. So Hopkins is another one, Dwayne. Like I think people are maybe for, becoming a little bit forgetful about just how good he can be, particularly in uh, Dynasty Land. I mean, I'm seeing him outside like some top 24s, uh, I think, these days. I know his age 
is about to start with a three if it isn't uh, already. Uh, but still, I mean, looking at the overall targets and with Kyler seemingly figuring stuff out, you know, he's got the Cardinals pictures back on his Instagram and all that. I mean, it's just going to be hard for Hopkins to bust if he's going to have as undisputed as a number one role as it sure looks like he might. Moving on from the Cardinals, we also got the Atlanta Falcons in a similar situation. Obviously, we all saw Calvin Ridley get suspended for the year due to gambling. We also have Russell Gage as an unrestricted free agent. Tajay Sharp, my guy, Court Daryl Patterson, and hell, even tight end Hayden Hurst, even going to uh, the running back rooms, a little bit of depth issues there potentially with Quadri Allison, but they'll probably bring him back as exclusive rights free agent. So, Dwayne, I think the big kind of question in Atlanta is what's going to happen? Who are they going to bring in to potentially replaced Cordero Patterson because we got some uh, news this morning that it might, he might be a little bit expensive for the Falcons and then what the hell is going to go on at wide receiver similar to Arizona and now people not every single team is going to be like this I swear but there's a lot of potential turnover that can go on here in Atlanta and it's pretty scary for expecting you know Matt Ryan to have a sort of career resurgence here at this point yeah I mean and this is one of the toughest ones just because there is absolutely like we have there's so many potential things that occur here could occur here with all these guys being free agents you know this is one of the teams where they've got the most guys departing so I think we're just really going to have to wait for some of the chips you know to fall but I think clearly it's good for Kyle Pitts <laughs> you know Kyle Pitts although he may not have lived up completely to what folks wanted last year he was still had a really good rookie tight end season yeah. relative to what we've seen historically at the position you know he'll be coming into his second year um you know he's really playing receiver but he's getting the tight end eligibility and fantasy as long as that continues but he's just gonna he's gonna have to get a ton of targets I got a lot of draft capital Behind him, they'll, they're going to force things to him no matter what. And I think we'll see some growth. So, I mean, Kyle Pitts right now, I mean, there's no way you can have him outside of your top five. Um, you know, I've seen some folks have him even higher than that, you know, in the tight end ranks. And I don't necessarily disagree because, like, he, he, is, he is good enough, Ian. We could see him take the leap to being the best tight end. Like, that's in his range of outcomes. He could be the best tight end in fantasy football by next season. And so I think – when you look at the way ADPs are working right now, it's not like he's cheap, but I'm, I feel really good about where he's at. Kyle Pitts last year spent about the same number of snaps each in the slot out wide and in line. Could be the next Mike sick case, but exactly. We'll take advantage of it if Fantasyland wants to call him a tight end for the time being. Yeah. And you've done the research, Ian. Like a lot of these, most of these free agents don't work out. Right. You know, no, um, like, look, we've seen play, players trade teams you know, through trade, right, that have worked, that were really good receivers. Uh, it was always silly to think DeAndre Hopkins couldn't come in and play. It was silly to think that Stefan Diggs couldn't play. But a lot of these guys that are going into third contracts, things like that, like if, say, Allen Robinson somehow signed with the Falcons, like that wouldn't scare me for Kyle Pitts. I, I like Allen Robinson, but that wouldn't make me think, oh, God, Kyle Pitts, there's just no way, you know, he could he could be the tight end one. I would still think it's in his range of outcomes. And that kind of was the uh... – why we made the decision on this podcast to go more team by team. I want to give a closer look at the income of guys like a Kyle Pitts, like a Rondale Morris, because as sexy as it is to, you know, go through the guys changing teams, uh, historically, at least in fantasy football, it just hasn't been good running back, wide receiver alike. Um, I had an article go up a couple weeks ago looking at how the high price uh, NFL free agent additions have performed on the other squads. 
you have a few hits here and there. You know, your Mark Ingram 2019 uh, with the Ravens at running back. I guess that's literally probably the only hit at running back. Melvin Gordon with the Broncos a little bit. But for every one of those, you know, you get your Matt Forte with the Jets. Your Jared Pekin with the 49ers. Chris Ivory with the Jaguars. Wide receiver really doesn't get all that much better. I mean, Curtis Samuel hasn't been able to get going yet, as we all know. Uh, Kenny Galladay, that deal certainly not looking good. Adam Humphreys got $36 million from the Titans. People forget. Uh, just a lot of n- nonsense going on. When the player switches teams, so that's why, you know, we didn't sit here and say, a bunch of dream landing spots because the dream landing spot is more times than not going back to their original employer. Hey, one other thing on Pitts, you know, yeah. and you're always talking about he plays receiver, which that really is where he lines up, you know, an 81.6 receiving grade as Ooh. a rookie. So he's over that 75 mark, really was playing, you know, as a receiver. So I, look, I love Kyle Pitts. I, I think I'm going to end up really having a ton of shares of Kyle Pitts, you know, as the season moves forward, as, as the season moves forward, I think his 80 probably goes up. Like as people just sit there and continue to think about, you know, what a good prospect, you know, he already was and then how he performed as a rookie. Dwayne, I had a shivering thought go down my spine this week. when I was looking <laughs> at the uh, Atlanta Falcons. If CPAT takes his talents elsewhere, Falcons look and they say, oh, we got so many holes, a wide receiver, our defense sucks. We can probably still spruce up the offensive line. Maybe Matt Ryan needs a future successor plan. They go through free agency. They don't add a running back. They go in the draft. They get a couple guys on day three. Could Mike Davis be shaping up as the week one starter again? But this time, we're not going to need to buy him in round four or five. He might be there like round 10. Yeah. In the same yeah. situation See, as last and- year. Yeah, and we talked about that recently, right, on the podcast around where how ADP moves. Last year, it worked dis, you know, to a disadvantage if you were drafting late with Mike Davis because you were having to pay this huge price of round five because of all the vacated op- opportunity, all that kind of stuff. Right now, because everybody was burned, right, and that recency bias, even if he ends up as the last guy standing and we get to August, you probably, to your point, he'll probably move up some, but he would probably be like an eighth-round pick you know, a seventh round pick. There's no way we see him getting the fifth and fourth range, you know, just because people are so, you know, and, and I get it. I've been there. Like once, a, once somebody burns you in fantasy, it's really easy. Like even the people like us that are analyzing it all the time, it's really easy just to be like, man, I, I don't want that player again. And Mike Davis is a polarizing, you know, I shouldn't say polarizing, like everybody is dunking on Mike Davis. So I, I, I agree with you that, you know, it could be a lot cheaper version of Mike Davis and you should be willing if he's between rounds eight and 10 last guy standing, I would definitely want to own some shares. That's why I crack. Like, you know, if you had that view with Mike Davis, like it'd be a little bit weird, but if you're like, I'm never drafting him again, it wouldn't be the most ridiculous thing ever. But when people like start bringing that attitude out for like Christian McCaffrey, it's like, well, what the hell are you, you telling me you wouldn't pull the trigger on McCaffrey in round two, let alone like round 12 or something asinine like that. Come on, people. Think for once in your life. Don't be a sheep. All right, moving on. We got the Baltimore Ravens. Kind of a situation where we're not expecting too much difference to happen with the overall roster because that wide receiver, we're only losing Sammy Watkins. That's great. Rashad Bateman should now have even a more full-time role, joining Marquise Brown and Devin DuVernay in three wide receiver sets. Obviously, Mark Andrews is keeping on, keeping on. Running back is the only, you know, quote-unquote issue they have, losing Devontae Freeman Latavius Murray. But obviously, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards will be back. So, Dwayne, there's really nothing for the Ravens to worry about. Hopefully, they can spruce up the offensive line, add some pieces on defense. As far as the skill position talents go, I just kind of wonder, like, is there enough – Losing Watkins is great for Bateman. 
I know they've been passing. They were passing more last year than they were in you know the last uh, two seasons of the Lamar Jackson um, era experience, whatever you want to call it. I guess like is there just almost like too many mouths to feed in this passing game? Are you confident enough that the pass rates are moving in the right direction? Lamar's got the right efficiency where each of Andrews, Hollywood, and Bateman can give us something at fantasy win. Andrews is a player that you still want to buy into. I think you're going to want exposure. Um, Rashad Bateman is going late enough right now from an ADP perspective, like he's round 10, round 11, sometimes round nine, that I don't mind have some, having some exposure. But I agree with you. I think what we could see, though, is an increase in efficiency, because let's be honest, when the Ravens had to make you know a full swing towards the passing game this year and all the injuries that they occurred, that incurred, it was nice from a target perspective. It was really nice in PPR leagues, but overall, like the efficiency of their offense went down. And so... I think there could be a situation where really moving a little bit, you know, they, I don't think they'll go completely back to where they're like a 50% drop back team. One of, you know, the heaviest run teams in the league, given all that they've, you know, really invested in these receivers over multiple years. Like they're trying to figure out how to unload miles Boykin, right? They've been drafting these guys for forever, but I think to your point, it could be a little more balanced. Maybe it's more like a 55%, you know, drop back rate versus 51% we saw two years ago, but not the 61% we saw this last season, somewhere in the middle, you still see a little more passing, but maybe we see the efficiency get better because they should be a healthier team. And so I think, Buying into Rashad Bateman right now really as like the third guy and he could be equal, you know, and target share to the other two and you get him the latest. So that's kind of where I'm at. Um, and I still love Marquise Brown. I expect Marquise Brown to out target Rashad Bateman. But given their ADPs, like it's just so easy to click yes on Bateman in the 10th and 11th round. A little harder, you know, in the 6th and 7th rounds right now to click yes on Marquise Brown. But as far as free agency goes, I just I'm with you. I don't see a lot happening here. It's just more about how healthy are all of these guys when the season starts as we get into draft season. Yeah, that is a nice kind of, uh, I think, uh, that pod we had with Nathan Yonke, I was, I was highlighting some of the discrepancies in ADP between wide receiver teammates. Probably put Marquise Brown and Rashad Bateman in there. Just take the cheaper he option. Snuck in, he, he snuck into the second group. Sorry, Ian. Uh, as far as the receiver grades, if you folks you know, haven't seen it, just go check it out. Just, just you know, Google Dwayne McFarlane PFF receiving grades, and you'll immediately come to the article. But Bateman did finish just inside that second tier, which we've seen several guys – you know, uh, like the hit rate's not as good if you're over 75, but he's got the draft capital and he's a player, you know, we really like. He still has a shot to really ascend. I'm actually pulling up that very article right now. Dwayne, fantastic group of guys, you know, with the 75 plus receiving grade. Is there even like a bust in there, man? Uh, I, I don't, there's not like a true bust. Some of them definitely went on to perform, you know, to give you more, you know, great seasons, you know, than others. These but are I mean, the thing, receivers. yeah, I mean, <laughs> looking for folks that are just listening to the podcast and they're not looking just, just, we'll probably reference this several times. So just quick disclaimer on it. Um, rookies that scored between a 75 and 100, um, in their first year in the league. Now they had to have at least 200 routes in their first three seasons. Cause what I was looking at is what was their peep, their average points per game PPR over the first three years. But then I really broke it down to where did they finish, right? Top 12 or between 13 and 24, 25 and 36, right? So just breaking it down. So the guys that finished between 75 and 100 and PFF receiver grade as a rookie over their first three seasons, 
Um, 44% of them went on to score over the next two seasons after being a rookie. 44% of them went on to have a top 12 finish. 16% of them went on to have a 13 to 24 finish. 16% a 25 to 36. The next group, which is a wide receiver grade of 65 to 74.9. Now, this is receiving grade, not their overall PFF grade. So they're receiving grade. Not as many in the top 12, 17%. So this is the group Bateman's in. But a ton of guys hitting in that 13 to 24 range, uh, 21%, and then the 25 to 36 range, 17%. And then ultimately going on to at least have a top 36 finish, right, anywhere between 1 and 36, 55% of those players did go ahead and go on to have in their for, in their next two seasons after their rookie year. So this is not their career. This is like immediate returns, 55%. Where it gets really hairy, Ian, is when you get down to 64.9 and below. And look, obviously – we're, these are these are thresholds, right? So there's always going to be some guys just on the other side of the line, <laughs> you know, yeah. like like Jerry Judy was just on the south of the 64.9, but I really think of him as a 65 to 74.9 when you look at the rest of his stuff. But you only you drop down to only 21% of those guys having a top 36 season, only 13% sneaking into the top 24. 2% went on to be in the uh, 1 to 12 range. Devontae Adams. Yeah, you can thank Devontae Adams for that. <laughs> so, but that second group, like just for folks real quick, like a couple of names, and I know we have a ton of teams to hit, hit here, but this is a great like pod. Yeah, like we always have good. fun with it. So, you know, some of the names that you look at um, that were in that first round. So four out of 10 first rounders um, that finished in that, in that group between 65 and 75, Julio Jones, Brandon Cooks, DeAndre Hopkins, Calvin Ridley, they all found top 12 success in years two or three. In addition, Amari Cooper, DJ Moore, Kendall Wright, Sammy Watkins, Marquise Brown all had one outing between 13 and 24. So ultimately, nine out of the 10 guys found their way into the top 24 for those players that were first rounders. So Rashad Bateman, he fits in that group. He's in that group. I expect him over the next two seasons to give you at least one top 24 finish. It could very easily be next year. Who would you rather have Dynasty straight up, Marquise or Bateman? I would still lean Marquise Brown because we've seen him do it, right? Yeah. Um, we've already seen him, you know, and, and look, I know the drops and things that people, you know, jump on him about, but Why we know that drops are just not sticky. The way I look at that is drops aren't sticky. And what if Marquise Brown had caught like three extra balls this last year? Like he would have blown the ceiling off of, he already had a good year. Like he would have, he would have really even beat expectations by that much more. So for folks that want to talk about drops and say, well, you know, he could have been even lower. I'm like, well, he's kind of at his floor. Like if he just catches a few more, like there's more upside. The thing I like with Brown is they use him in all facets. Ian. They use him at the line of scrimmage. They use him in the intermediate passing game. And then they use him down the field. And he has that true speed that he can beat like even two high looks. You know, he, he's, he's one of the few guys in the league that can still do that does always have injury concerns. So I'm still leaning Marquise Brown um, because we know once we've seen a player actually do these things and break through, like that matters even more than what we may have thought about them in college. Um, if they're fairly close, like what I would say Rashad Bateman and Marquise Brown are, but look, I still like Bateman, but I would take Brown straight up. Obviously there's factors that, you know, depending on what you're getting offered, all those sort of things that people would have to take into account. I thought I had Marquise higher. I actually have Bateman one spot higher. Might need to do one of those like spiritual peyote trips or something just to like <laughs> figure out this exact situation. Which I think that's I think there I think it is in the range of outcomes yeah. that Bateman overtakes Brown. Like it's look, very coaches, are just, coaches are just like are just like fans. Like they could they could overthink drops. Yeah. A lot of coaches don't even know that drops aren't you know consistent because they don't look at that data. I'm not saying that coaches are are dumb because they're not, but they're humans too. They have recency bias, so there could be reasons that they they you know Lamar Jackson could have those things stuck in his head and want to get Bateman more involved. So I think it's totally in the range of outcomes. 
Buffalo Bills time now. Obviously, Josh Allen, quarterback of the present and the future. Wide receiver room could be moving around a little bit, though. Stefan Diggs still sitting as the wide receiver one. We're all assuming after going for 200-plus and four freaking touchdowns in the playoffs, Gabriel Davis will be replacing Emmanuel Sanders, who is an unrestricted free agent. The slot wide receiver position is where it gets interesting. The Bills have given Cole Beasley permission to seek a trade, usually a good sign that he's either going to be coming back on a reduced price tag or just going to be released or, hell, maybe even traded. That is what they gave him permission for after all. But if Beasley is out of the picture, they would have to bring back Isaiah McKenzie, who is an unrestricted free agent himself. McKenzie, we've seen it, you know, last two week 17s maybe there's a week 18 thrown there he can do a lot in this offense i would imagine he's gonna get his best deal in buffalo compared to someone else with you know their ability to use him but who knows i kind of thought the same thing about uh Cedric Wilson in Dallas, but it sounds like uh, him and like MVS and some of these other guys do have slightly bigger markets. Not saying McKenzie necessarily falls into that bucket, but just just realize like he's an unrestricted free agent. I think a lot of people are glossing over that when kind of projecting them ahead to next year. So, Dwayne, we need to see what happens kind of with that wide receiver three spot. There's been some rumors about Evan Ingram potentially coming in, being their slot receiver. Obviously, that wouldn't really help Dawson Knox's case. I think the biggest thing I'm waiting for in Buffalo, though, is what they do at running back because we've seen Josh Allen ena- enable several fantasy-relevant wide receivers over the years. Like Even before Diggs got there, John Brown and Cole Beasley were putting up some pretty good numbers. Last year at the end was the first time we saw this Bills offense have a high-end fantasy running back. Devin Singletary, final five weeks of the regular season, RB14, RB7, RB10, RB5, RB3. What do you do in the playoffs? 145 total yards and three touchdowns in two games. Literally didn't come off the field for a single play against the Chiefs. So, Dwayne, I mean, kudos to you. I remember like week 14, 15, wherever this was, you're like, Singletary, he's got the three-down roll. I know we're not used to him having it, but he has it. He's an RB1 now. We got to see what happens throughout free agency because if they come back, Matt Breida is a free agent, but if they come back with only Zach Moss and, you know, some late-round running back, Devin Singletary is going to be someone probably ranked in like the low 20s, I think, because people are just used to ranking him there. But when you look at the change of role he had down the stretch, this dude could be a full-season RB1. Yeah, and look, here's the thing with Devin Singletary is we've actually seen him play well at some for some spurt of time every season that he's yeah. been in the league. He just be, hasn't, man. to your point, had the whole had the whole thing. And and going back, you know, I was doing I did a article on the rookie running backs this week. And what was interesting, you know, I was pulling a lot of the advanced metrics that we have at PFF that I've never really got to look at before in my dynasty type stuff. And if you look at the threshold, right, for the backs that over their career in college, you know, hit 20% of their carries were of 10 yards or more. So we call those, you know, um, explosive rushes. Breakaways are 15 plus yards in rushing. These explosive rushes, which are more, more duplicatable, right? If that's a word, right? You're more, you can more easily duplicate it, right? It's a stickier stat than the 15 yarders. And whenever you look at Singletary, like he was in that group, he was one of the few guys that were in that 20%. And if you look at the rest of the list, my, my litmus test, like for any, you know, stat that you're starting to look at thresholds on, like it's kind of a first pass is when you do that kind of cut off and you look at the list. And if you want to, you can pull up on my Twitter, if you want, Ian, you can look at explosive uh, play rate, but 
and the list looks the way that that one did and all the names that are on it, you're like, okay, this stat probably <laughs> means something, you know, because every guy that's on there, you're like, okay, I like that player. I like, now there's a few guys that are borderline, but overall, like Jonathan Taylor, all these guys that are on this list. You're like, wow. And Devin Singletary is on there. And if you think about it, I think this is where combine stuff does people a disservice, right? They get stuck on the fact that Singletary didn't run super fast at the combine. So they think he's not explosive. He's slow. There's different ways to be explosive. You don't. If you look at that list, you'll see a lot of those guys didn't run great 40s. In fact, I ran a correlation on those players that are able to break those 20 uh, over 20 percent at the NFL and at the college level. And guess what? Neither one of those correlated back to their 40 time in the combine, or in fact, any of their combine metrics. They don't matter. So running backs can win in all these different ways. Not saying having a good 40 time can't be a good thing. Some backs it is. That's how they win. And they're able to put that to full use. Devin Singletary kind of had this bad rap just because folks thought that he was slow. So he's always had the missed tackles. And now he's starting to hit more of the explosive runs like what we saw in college. And so he is fragile because you know, he doesn't have a lot of draft capital. And the Bills could decide to take another back. But he's already survived that once was Zach Moss. You know, he's a third round pick. Zach Moss came in the year after as a third round pick. We just need to make sure they don't sign anybody because that would definitely hurt him. If, if they'll just stick with Singletary and Moss, I think he's going to end up being a value because to your point, people will just be used to ranking him where they do and that recency bias will stick in and he could be a value. Let's move on to the Carolina Panthers. There's been some... Hey, moments. real quick, Ian, yeah. on that. Like Christian Kirk, if he signs, that could be really bad for Gabriel Davis, too. I don't think we can automatically yeah. assume, like, if, if Beasley's there or if they re-sign McKenzie, they could ever, they could easily use Beasley, Beasley or McKenzie in the slot, and you could have Christian Kirk moving all over the formation. He played outside before, you know, for the Cardinals. I hope he gets to play slot, but he's a very different player yeah. than McKenzie or Beasley, who are very quick, right, underneath, like, and run these whip routes, all of these – little quick ways to beat defenders and man coverage zone. Like that's not Christian Kirk's game. He can do some of those things, but he's really more, he can work that intermediate. He can work the deep areas of the field, but he's not like this elite quick underneath route runner like that those two guys are. So when you think about the way the teams want to use these players, I think Christian Kirk could be very problematic uh, for Gabriel Davis. Yeah. I think it'll just give us a rotation of sorts, everyone behind Probably. digs, and that's what we can't have. I mean, that's just yeah. when things get messy at wide receiver. So, yeah, stay tuned. The number three wide receiver spot in Buffalo in that running back position. We always talk about wanting to follow you know, the league's best offenses. This is one of them. Make sure we keep tabs on that. Now, with the Panthers, there's been some fairly obscene, you know, Christian McCaffrey trade rumors out there. Panthers want, you know, I think way too much back for him to feasibly think that he's going elsewhere. And if that's in mind, man, there's really just not too much going on uh, with this offense. McCaffrey should be back. We'll see what they do at quarterback. I mean, Darnold is seemingly going to be there. I don't think Cam Newton's coming back. I'd be shocked if they don't devote a draft pick there. But again, CMC at running back, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson. I hope, I think, Terrence Marshall uh, finishing off three wide receiver sets. And then a tight end, Dwayne, I was hoping I could sit here today and we could hype up our guy, Tommy Trembles, but no, we can't. Ian Thomas. Tommy Trembles. Yeah. Tommy Trembles. Ian Thomas has resigned for uh, Lord knows why. And there's even a 
freaking it just came out man ian thomas last year like got arrested for like trying to go away from these cops on an atv like went on this it sounded like a grand theft auto like four star level chase thing he was going on so i mean that sounds like a crazy experience and he got paid anyway so good on you ian thomas either way though again when you have two real life tight ends it's hard to have one in fantasy land so honestly Dwayne, like i think for carolina just hope they don't add any more bodies to the equation please for the love of god get dj Moore a qb and maybe we can you know take the offensive line from horrendous to below average yeah i think you need a quarterback the other thing i would say is sell terrace marshall now if you're in a dynasty league and you think he has any value uh he really he performed very badly <laughs> and yeah. so when you no. look at you know the yeah whenever you look at his um receiving grade and you look at the tier that he falls in from a rookie standpoint he falls in the very bottom tier. like it was in the 50s you have to look it's in the low 50s so it's a situation where yeah if you can get anything in return right now 52.9 was his receiving grade i could have made a tier of of his own for terrace marshall so even if you looked at guys that had that second round capital now again Devontae Adams did come from that group, had a really terrible rookie season. But do you really want to bet on that outlier? If you can get something now, go ahead and do it for Terrace Marshall. He's already looked bad. They don't have a quarterback. There's other good receivers on the team. I think if you can get something, it's just the right move. Uh, yeah, it's not. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not saying he on. can't, you know, Ian. But it's just, no, it's just, it's just a, a percentages thing, you know. I'm, I'm sure he'll go off now and be the next Devonte Adams. <laughs> you know, I'll get DM saying I'm a complete Dude, idiot, and I'll like Seventeen catches for 138 yards the entire season. Yeah. He got beat out by Brandon Zilstra. It's like, I, I, man. I, I, I was never sitting here as like the true Marshall believer or anything. I didn't think there were enough, no. like, there's enough volume to go around the offense. But to see him, again, just lose the job and do nothing, I pulled up, uh, again, you can always check these podcasts out on YouTube or we now have Spotify uh, video. But yeah, Dwayne's uh, tweet about first and second round rookie wide receivers to average less than one yards per route run. Terrence Marshall, Dwayne Eskridge, Nikhil Harry, JJ Ortega Whiteside, James Washington, DJ Chark, Zay Jones, Curtis Samuel, Mike Williams, Nelson Aguilar, Devin Smith, Devontae Adams, there he is, Paul Richardson. Paul Richardson was fun for a year, Dwayne. I'm not going to let anyone tell me otherwise. I, I wish Paul Richardson weighed like, like 195. Just 195. <laughs> like the, I think the 165 or whatever it was got him. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah, John Baldwin. You remember old John Baldwin? Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, it's a, it's a bad list. There are a few hits on there. So, I mean, I'm not saying, like, if, you know, somebody just wants to give you a six and you don't want that in the league, I get it. Like, but if, if somebody's willing to give you a second-round pick or even a, a, an early third, something like that, even if it's a year down the road, not this season, but the following season, like with Marshall, because there could be, like, people are talking about Robbie Anderson can be traded, right? So, right now, it could be the news cycle time that, hey, man, Robbie Anderson's going to be gone. Marshall's going to get a shot, you know, to be the number two. Right? And he could come through, but percentages say, like, just move, move him if you can Moving on to the Chicago Bears, Justin Fields, quarterback of the present and future. Get these dumbass reports about his elongated throwing motion out of here. Philip Rivers was throwing the ball under him like a jackass for like 15 years. Uh, running back situation, Tariq Cohen was actually uh, released with an injury designation right before this podcast started. Damian Williams, also an unrestricted free agent. Sure seems like David Montgomery will be entering the year. Fairly undisputed RB1. Khalil Herbert, though, could end up being one of these guys where we already saw him last year. I mean, I think his first start went for over 100 yards against the Buccaneers. 
Buccaneers of all teams. Like he impressed with everything he did on the field. And I'll be very interested in getting him late in drafts if he's not put on that same, you know, Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison tier of handcuff backs. We need to see what the new Bears offense looks like. Maybe it is more of a committee, but hey, once again, that helps Khalil Herbert. Not that dissimilar of a situation uh, than Alexander Madison and Dalvin Cook, I think. If you look at David Montgomery, like how much longer is he going to be with the Bears? Are they going to tie him down long term? If they don't, Khalil Herbert next man up. At wide receiver, Darnell Mooney sitting there looking good, Dwayne. Obviously was already the you know number one target last year, undisputed. But then wide receivers two through five and Allen Robinson, Demir Bird, Marquise Goodwin, Andrew Keem Grant, all unrestricted free agents. Um, even the tight end room is looking uh, more clear for Cole Komet, both Sheriff Jesse James and the no trade clause man himself, Jimmy Graham, unrestricted free agents as well. So seems like we got the backfield and quarterback room fairly solidified, but there is room, Dwayne, for another pass catcher to come in here, or maybe not, and Darnell Mooney's just going to get 200 targets. Yeah, I, look, Mooney, I, I'm kind of surprised. Like, um, you know, he's done it for two years now. So his first two seasons in the league, um, PPR points, you know, 150 and 220. Um, he landed in the second bucket, you know, between 75 and 65 as far as the rookie grade goes. But now he's already done it, you know, in his second season, hitting that 220 mark. Um, and the fact that we've already seen seen him, like you said, lead the team in targets with 25% last year, targets per route run, 22%. Yards per route run didn't get to the two, but it was, it was an offense that struggled. He was at a 1.72, which was still the highest on the team. So, yeah, I like Mooney, and I feel like right now, you know, folks are kind of snoozing on him. Um, you know, the Bears could very easily add a receiver. Not sure that they would do it through free agency, but they could definitely draft someone. Um, but, you know, they picked up that second round pick by moving Khalil Mack. Maybe they want to add a maybe they want to add a weapon through the draft to help out Justin Fields. But again, then that's a rookie second round pick. Like I think Mooney has a as a really clear shot right now to lead this team in targets again and maybe even take a little bit of a step forward. I mean, all he's done is take step forwards each time. You know, I think I think some people right now are probably hanging out. Well, he was a fifth rounder, pick 173. I didn't like him in the pre-draft process. At this point, like he's already done it. He's already done it. And he's played at all levels of the field. He hasn't just been a gadget player like some folks thought he would be. And so I think if you get any kind of maturation out of Justin Fields and he's able to uncork some of those long throws, they get a more imaginative offense with this change in offensive coordinators. Like I, I think there's a lot of things to like about Darnell Moon. A lot of things to like about Mooney. Again, similar sentiment can be made for Cole Komet. Let's hope that he finally does get that undisputed three-down roll and doesn't have anyone stealing his red zone targets. And, you know, I said the running back room is probably set, but going into a new offense, let's make sure we don't see like a James White, Giovanni Bernard, pure pass game specialist coming to replace Tariq Cohen. That would be annoying to have to deal with for Dave Montgomery investors. Moving on in the C's, Cincinnati Bengals. This one's pretty easy. We know Tyler Boyd, uh, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins back forming three wide receiver sets. Free my guy, Auden Tate. Let's go somewhere where we can get the ball. I know everyone since he loves him, but, you know, come on. Let 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 the, you know, let him spread his wings. He's a peacock, as, uh, you know, they might say back in the day. Running back room, Joe Mixon, the running back, y'all. Samaj P. Ryan could be a cut candidate. I don't really think they need to uh, anyway, so I would expect the backfield to be the same. Obviously, Joey Burrow, quarterback in the present, future, and, you know, forever. The only question, Dwayne, is what to do with C.J. Uzama. He did not get the franchise tag he was their uh, starting tight end last year obviously throughout the super bowl i guess 
could this be our 2022 version of Dawson Knox, where it's someone in Uzama, or if he leaves, Drew Sample, where it's going to be a tight end, probably not priced inside the top 20, and they're not their offenses, you know, number one, number two, even number three pass game target, but they're in an offense with a quarterback that could throw 40 touchdowns. Yeah, I think it could mean one of two things. You end up having another tight end fill the role, and, you know, you know work as a probably the fourth option because Tyler Boyd's the third. Um, or if if they just don't think Drew Sample's that good in the receiving game, which we really haven't seen enough from him. We've had a couple of flashes, you know, in his rookie season. They've you given him just – you're right, but when Uzama was out, they were playing him 90% plus snaps. So we at least yeah, yeah, that. yeah. Right. It's just it's just a unique situation where you just happen to have Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, and Jamar Chase in front of you. Like most teams are not that loaded, right? At the other three. The Cowboys spots. had CD Cooper and Gallup. Right. But that's not the same as what we have with the Bengals. That's good, but it's not it's not yeah, great. You're right. Um but but to your point, like I I'm, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I'm picking up what you're laying down. I, I think <laughs> yeah. the other the other thing that can happen whenever you have a tight end move on and you see this negative correlation between targets a lot of times between tight ends and running backs because of the areas of the field that they work. And a lot of times they're asked to stay in and chip and then float into the flat, different things like that. You could see a few more targets to the running backs in Cincinnati. That'd be great to see Joey Mixon. We know he can do it. Maybe just maybe they keep their best running back on the field and pass for situations. Uh, I mentioned before about some of the high priced uh, free agent deals going south when guys change teams. No position has it been worse than the uh, um, tight end. So if you look at these guys, tight ends that have made at least 15 million over the past uh, five, six off seasons. Kobe Fleener, Ladarius Green, Martellus Bennett, Deion Sims, Rhett Ellison, Trey Burton. Jimmy Graham is on this list twice. Eric Ebron, Jesse James, Tyler Croft, Jared Cook, Austin Hooper, Johnny Smith, and Hunter Henry. Henry is like the only one you can kind of sort of say was okay from a fantasy perspective. I guess Eric Ebron had the one good year with the Colts. But yeah, if someone wants to give Uzoma a bunch of money, we will likely be fading that if his cost is anything close to tight end one territory. All right, up next, we got another Ohio team, the Cleveland Browns. Once again, a situation that, Dwayne, I think we could see one of these incumbent guys, Sneaky, have a high target projection despite not having the great ADP. In the backfield, they actually did tender uh, Dearness Johnson. He'll probably be their RB3 again behind Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Seems like Baker Mayfield is going to be the week one starter. Maybe we get one of these veteran free agents to come in and compete. But I w- if I was a betting, I am a betting man. I would bet on Baker Mayfield being the week one starter. Uh, tight end, we already talked about David Njoku and the Austin Hooper situation. What we really need to see is wide receiver. We have had um, sources come out and say that Jarvis Landry is likely to be traded, even released to save some money. And after him, Dwayne, it's Donovan Peoples-Jones and pretty much nobody else. And looking at DPJ... His freaking ADP or like where he's going in the ranks right now, I don't think many people have him as a top 60 wide receiver. If let's even say, let's say Jarvis stays or he leaves and they get like, you know, Drake London, they get like a dope number one wide receiver. I still think Donovan Peoples-Jones is going to be in three wide receiver sets. Probably, even if he's not the number one receiver, can give us like some boomer bust, wide receiver four, wide receiver five value. That's already better than where he's being ranked. And God forbid they don't add this high price free agent receiver or a high round draft pick. All of a sudden, Donovan Peoples-Jones, man, might be the single cheapest number one wide receiver in fantasy football. Yeah, and Peoples-Jones had a lot of buzz going into camp last year, and then he got hurt. 
And so, I mean, he really battled through injuries. We did see him flash the season before whenever he got his opportunities. So there've been moments, right? I mean, at this point, I mean, he's a six round pick 187 overall. Um, is he probably going to see more routes? Yes. It's going to be cheap. Like that's what you're saying. It's going to be cheap. So why not? You know, he, he's not a guy that we want to see rise up boards in any way. And you're really going to feel that great about him, you know, and, and we'll see where these rookies land. There could be probably a lot of rookies. We feel a lot better about than Donovan Peoples Jones, given the, you know, the fact that he's had a chance already to kind of show some of this, but I think you could certainly come up with a list of reasons why, right. He just hasn't been able to, to, to truly, you know, break through as far as the Browns though, you gotta be in the top two because they just run so much 12 and 21 personnel. Like they're, they're they just don't use 11 personnel. They don't use three wide receivers on the field. They also have a rookie that they drafted in the third round last year, pick 92 overall, Anthony Schwartz. So he'd possibly get involved, but also now he didn't hit the 200 route threshold that we want to see, but a 56.7 PFF receiving grade, not very encouraging for Anthony Schwartz. So we're most likely looking at who is the new player to land on this team at receiver, yeah. right? And maybe they just run a ton of 12 and it's just all about Njoku and Harrison Bryant. We just haven't seen that truly work very often where two rece- two tight ends can really go, right? Yeah, you got to go back to Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. They just, they both happen to be badasses, right? We may like Njoku and Harrison Bryant, but we don't, they're not on the same level as that. So it's going to be difficult for them, you know, to overcome, you know, playing together. Since 2010, only teammates to both be top 12 fantasy tight ends were Gronk and Hernandez, to your point. And then also, I believe the 2019 Eagles got Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. But that was like both guys were kind of banged up at different points in the season. And they were just both good, good enough to make the most out of their kind of uh, solo acts. So, yeah, pay attention to that Cleveland passing game. I know everyone's out on Baker Mayfield. I'm not saying I'm in on the guy. But even bad, even a bad passing game, you know, look at your 2021 Texans. We can still enable one, maybe two fantasy relevant guys let's try to figure out who they will be moving on dallas cowboys have talked already about dalton schultz a good amount the potential for amari cooper to be traded and or released it does look like michael gallup will be back we still do have that hole at number three receiver the cowboys did bring back noah brown for a minimum deal probably more of a you know he's gonna be their wide receiver four wide receiver five uh plays on all sorts of special teams as well so that's fine but cedric wilson malik turner both these guys are unrestricted free agents. Like, Dwayne, right after the season was over, um, I wrote an article about kind of the um, free agent situations that could help define the upcoming fantasy football season. And this Cowboys wide receiver room, even then, was one of the situations I was highlighting because beyond C.D. Lamb, it's just completely wide open. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend like every single one of Amari Cooper's vacated targets are going to go to C.D. But if we could have a situation where, let's face it, this Cowboys team doesn't exactly have a bunch of cash to work with, if it's CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup at the top of the list here, maybe Gallup's even banged up for a little bit, it's going to be awfully tough to keep CeeDee out of this top five, top six conversation. The hate, like I wouldn't say it's hate, but like people trying to cry out that like he hasn't done it, when's it going to happen? The dude hasn't turned 23 years old yet. Let's maybe see what happens when he's his offense's undisputed number one wide receiver for a change. Well, and it's not like it's been bad. People are saying he hasn't he hasn't like had this huge season, but a lot of guys hadn't had a huge season in their first two years. He got an 84.6 PFF receiving grade this last season, um, rookie receiving grade of 72.6. I mean, I, I don't get it. I think if you're off the CD land bandwagon and you were on it last year, I don't get it. Like, you know, last year there was you could say, hey, he's going to have to split up the targets too much. You're going to need this Cowboys offense to like run at work speed to get the value back. 
Um, I, I could have understood that. Right now, going into his third season, to your point, only going to be uh, 23.5 years old and has actually been a good player. This is not a player, you know, I mean, look, in his first two seasons, 212 and 233 uh, PPR points. You know, if you look at his PPR points per game, 13.2, 14.6, those are not bad. Those are good. I, I get it. You want it to be 18. You want it to be 20 because we've seen Justin Jefferson it could happen very easily this season. I do not get the logic of being out on C.D. Lamb in the late second. He's still in the late second right now. He's a slam dunk going in the late second round. You know, if he gets to the middle, you know, of the first round and he shoots way up and then you want to make a decision to pivot off of C.D. Lamb, I, I can get it. I, I can understand you could make an argument for that. But in my mind, looking at a young player, has got the draft capitals, had two solid seasons, like he screams. He's the easiest candidate to just blow through the roof this season and he could finish as the wide receiver one in all of fantasy it is in his range of outcomes and i just don't get it i do not i think people are really overthinking it man the whole cd lamb thing in august was absurd like i remember i had him and cooper ranked as wide receiver ones the entire offseason what changed everyone's you know mind on cd lamb freaking hard knocks highlights and this dude was all of a sudden like a top eight <laughs> there were some good catches in there Ian. <laughs> they were but it's like we already knew cd lamb was a beast why do we need practice highlights to help sway that but uh whatever i guess we'll have to deal with uh, someone else getting he gets all the things we want he's he's hit the receiving grades he's hit the yards per route run I, you know people are coming up with phantom reasons right now. In my opinion, I get end up being wrong, but this is the type of player I want to put multiple chips down on as much as I can. You know, I, I mean, if I was at the roulette wheel and there was a CD lamb, I'd be stacking my chips on it. I would stack them every time, you know, put them all. I'd be, I'd be putting them all on CD lamb every time. You, had, you might, you know, have to let me live with you. After <laughs> oh, you always got a spot here, man. Just my, my couch. <laughs> After the Cowboys, we got, you know, a new contender in the AFC West, the Denver Broncos. Obviously, uh, we talked about the Russell Wilson trade at length on our last podcast. And really, it's just a situation now in Denver where what's Melvin Gordon going to do? Because otherwise, we kind of know the situation. Uh, I guess we can also look at the tight end room. Obviously, Noah Fant, also a member of the Seattle Seahawks now. Will Albert O be the undisputed tight end one in Denver? Or are they going to sign someone else, rotate the guys, maybe draft a, you know someone like Trey McBride early in the draft? That's going to be a difference between really getting behind Albert O or fading him. Because as you know, Dwayne's been talking about length with the routes, you know, run percentage. Albert O, yeah, I think if he plays 90% of the Broncos snaps, he can probably go out and put up tight end one numbers. There's a lot of tight ends that I think can do that if they get those snaps. We need to find out if he's going to be in that situation. A wide receiver, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, KJ Hamler, obviously Jerry Judy. Probably should have listened to him first uh, in that list. They're all there, you know, and we'll see what that rotation looks like, but that's a story for another day. Dwayne, again, the big question is what's going to happen with Melvin Gordon? You have Javante, you have had, I don't, I don't know how often you're updating the 2022 rankings. Right after the season, you put Javante number two under the assumption that Melvin Gordon could be leaving town. Now we got the quarterback upgrade, which is massive, double digit, you know, touchdown upside, certainly in Javante's drama possibilities. Now, if Gordon does return to the Broncos, how far do you see yourself dropping Javante? And then this Melvin Gordon may become a value as someone that is probably not going to be inside too many people's top 30 running backs. I think Javante will, you know, fall down, you know, my ranks to probably about where his ADP will be, which will probably move down to like early third round, maybe late second for some people. Um, but my guess is Javante doesn't fall out of the third, you know, kind of a similar situation to what we saw with um, Swift 
last preseason. We did see Swift going in the second round. Then all of a sudden you got Jamal Williams signing similar, right? To what we're going to, you know, similar player to Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon's obviously better, but we saw Swift then fall about a round. Now, then he got injured and we saw him fall into the fourth round. So um, that's probably going to be where uh, it'll probably line up with where I'm going to have him ranked. I still think he's a player that, you know, you want to put a chip on um, because you're going to go into that dead zone range where there's going to be a lot of, of backs with profiles that we don't like. Javante Williams is not going to be one of those, you know, because he's a young back. He's shown that he's used in all the different situations. He can be a good receiver out of the backfield. Don't know how much Russell Wilson will really enable that with him, especially with the other uh, targets. He had Teddy Bridgewater captain check down, right? So that really helped him and Melvin Gordon from the standpoint of their targets. Probably won't see as many of those, but like Kevin Cole mentioned on our show earlier this week, we could also see a Denver Broncos offense that like doubles the touchdowns. You know, those weren't Kevin's exact words, but a better offense scoring more touchdowns with Russell Wilson. And we know they play in a division where you're going to have to score points. Yeah, Denver does have a good defense, but when you're going to have to play the Chargers, you're going to have to play the Chiefs, you're going to have to play in the Raiders, you know, don't are not bad either. Like you're going to have to put up points. So I think those things all bode well for Javante Williams. One, I have to, I have to say one more thing on CD Lamb, and I'm sorry, but <laughs> last year only out there for 76 percent of the passing plays in a route what? because of the rotation they had going. A lot of that, whenever they would go warp speed, guys, that's going to be at 90 to 95 percent this year. If you just add that to CD Lamb alone, and you took his targets per route run, which he led the team last year at 22 percent. If you just give him, you know, the 90 to 95% routes, like what we see with most, you know, receivers that where you don't have four or five players, man, it's it's just going to be really hard for CD Lamb to not pay off at his current ADP and also still give you upside. Before Dwayne continues to ramble about CD Lamb, I want to give a quick shout out to some sponsors because right now you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use code FANTASY. What can you get with that? I'm happy you asked. Our NFL Draft Guide, all of our locked article content, completely unlocked mock draft simulator, which now has grades, our 2022 free agent rankings, data and grades from the entire season, all that and so much more. Support this pod and use promo code FANTASY for 25% off any PFF subscription. And can I get a round of applause, everyone? Today, I'm excited to announce Manscaped launched their ultra premium collection. Believe it or not, it's for your not so private parts. I'm talking about leveled up hygiene routine for your favorite manly scent. This is an all in one skin and hair care kit for every day man and covers you from head to toe literally manscape is trusted below the waist now trust them with the rest join the four million men worldwide who trust manscape by going to manscape.com for 20 percent off and free shipping with the code pff again that's 20 percent off free shipping with the code pff at manscape.com the power of attraction is now in a bottle thanks to manscape also love our friends over at all 22 who are unveiling the newest fantasy football game that hundreds of pff employees have been playing all 22 uses weekly pff grades as one of its main scoring components and tests your ability to build a full 53-man roster offensive line included if you've ever dreamt of sitting in the nfl front office if you enjoy the scouting process you're gonna want to check out all 22 join the wait list on all 22.com with nothing more than your email if you join before the nfl draft you'll receive a special promo code for your all 22 subscription waitlist users will gain even more access to premium content like inarguable inarguable i, I, I can't say the word Dwayne. it's just too tough arguable or did you are you wanting to say inarguable. inaugural inaugural there you go you got it in, inaugural Draft guys. And hey, we, all have, we all have those words. <laughs> Feature release announcements, announcements and more. Be sure to follow at all 22 underscore PFF on Twitter. All 22. Less fantasy, more football. Have you watched uh, Ted Lasso, Dwayne? 
Yeah, I've only watched a few episodes, and it's been like two months ago. I kind of started it. I need to get back on it. (laughs) It's I I love it. I think it's hilarious. But um, uh, one of the episodes, like he was just I forget what the word was, but he just kept saying it over and over again. His assistant coach Beard was like trying to help him. They're like, it's it's a weird word. Once you say it four (laughs) times, it just gets even weirder. But enough of that. Let's get back to the show. Detroit Lions are next. They've gone ahead and uh, re-signed Josh Reynolds already this offseason, citing his, uh, you know, rapport with Jared Goff. So I guess, you know, we're still doing this Jared Goff thing for at least another year. But they obviously could address the QB room as well. Um, they could need, they're, they're going to need another wide receiver in addition to Reynolds and Amon Ross St. Brown. Both Khalif Raymond and Kaderil Hodge are free agents. Let's face it, they could upgrade pretty much any position group on this offense other than, you know, I guess, I no, I shouldn't say it. They should upgrade the wide receiver room and the quarterbacks. They're pretty good at tight end with TJ Hawkinson. DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams, I think, are going to be their running backs at least for um, another year or two. So, Dwayne, I guess kind of the question here is, like, what would they have to do at wide receiver for you to, like, become afraid of Amon Ross St. Brown? Because as things stand, I think there's enough opportunity, um, especially if Jared Goff's going to be back dinking and dunking, where Amon Ross, he's he, he played awesome last year. I don't think we should expect them to be shitty. And when there's all these available targets in addition to what he already carved out last year, I know Swift and Hawkinson were hurt for, you know, a decent chunk of that. But Amon Ross St. Brown, man, is someone that I think is going to be affordable enough that you really don't have to take as big of a leap on him as I think some might expect. I don't care who they sign. I really don't. Great. Like, like <laughs> look, he, he's, he scored an 80 in his PFF receiving grade. As a rookie, we've already gone through that list, you know, of those over 75. If you narrow that down to the ones over 80, and it doesn't matter when they're drafted. Their draft capital does not matter. This thing caught people like Hunter Renfro. It caught uh, Doug Baldwin. It caught Chris Godwin before his breakout. So, I mean, that's what I loved about the metric was actually seeing, wow, these players that maybe people were not on because they didn't already score fantasy points. But with Brown, we've already seen both. He scored the fantasy points. You know, he's the best receiver in the league down the stretch over the last six games from a fantasy perspective. Yeah. And I don't think it was just a vacated targets thing. I don't think it was just that. I think he's actually a really good player. There are actually a lot of people in the film community that really loved Amon Ross St. Brown coming in, you know, to the to the season last year. The problem was he just wasn't playing outside. And, you know, we were we were getting a lot of slot routes, things like that. And they weren't always running three wide receivers early in the season. But at the end of last season, he played more outside. He played inside. He showed that he can really do it all. So I don't think there's any any I don't think there's any risk. Like now, if all of a sudden they signed Allen Robinson and drafted Drake London in the first round, like that would be an extreme. Right. That would be one where you'd have to say, OK, that's definitely going to hurt. I don't know that it would make me afraid of him. But that would be the type of extreme circumstance I would need to see to really be off of Amon Ross St. Brown as a fifth-round pick right now in ADP and 12-team leagues. Even in that situation, like, yeah, okay, now we're not drafting him in the fifth round, but nobody is. And then we can probably still, you know, okay, if that happens and now we can get him in the seventh or eighth round, great. Sign me up. Amon Ross St. Brown. I think in a similar situation to Darnell Mooney, where if nothing changes, great. We have the undisputed wide receiver one, even more undisputed. But if they add guys, we've seen enough from these players that we don't have to worry about their past draft capital as much as I think uh, some people might be. After the Lions, we got the Green Bay Packers, brought back Devontae Adams, brought back Aaron Rodgers. That seems a little bit important. I think the situation to keep monitoring is what exactly is going to be going on at the number two receiver spot and tight end. Robert Tunyon is an unrestricted free agent. Need to see how his recovery is going. Uh, Obviously, just two years removed from a double-digit touchdown season after he was lost for the year um, in 2021. Mercedes Lewis kind of led the way, but it was multiple tight ends being used every game. It rendered really each of them 
those non-viable fantasy assets. So keep an eye out on the tight end. I know the Packers have a long history of kind of, you know, they don't add wide receivers in free agency, but they add these tight ends that end up not doing shit for them. Uh, before Tanya, I think it was like Michael Finley was probably the last one that gave us really any sort of extended fantasy goodness. Keep an eye on that. And then wide receiver, it looks like Marquez Baldus scaling could be fetching $10 million a year somewhere. I guess that's what happened when you can run a sub 4-4 at 6 feet. Four. Um, so really, man, it's looking like Alan Lazar could be the number two receiver in Green Bay. He is a restricted free agent himself, but Dwayne, like Lazard is someone where similar to MVS last year, I had tons of MVS in best ball. And it didn't exactly work out. To be fair, he was hurt for a good portion of the first half of the year. But Alan Lazard, low key last year, had himself eight touchdowns in just 15 games, you know. He was out there in full-time and three wide receiver sets. I, I saw the play at the end of the year when he was wide open and Rodgers forced it downfield in the double coverage and everything. But, man, like Lazard, just like MBS last year, he's someone that we can get for a near final round pick that might just be Aaron Rodgers' number two wide receiver. Yeah, I think especially right now, like you should be buying Alan Lazard if you're playing in best ball drafts. Like That's the key takeaway for the Packers. They are strapped from a standpoint of um, their, the cap. Like, so they had to do a bunch just to get even. So I don't see them being able to do a lot in free agency. It's going to have to be a draft situation um, for them to bring in competition for Alan Lazard. So I would definitely look at it as Lazard being the number two in the Packers uh, passing game, which look, we know they're not a team that just lines up and throws the ball all the time. They run They have a lot of balance to their offense. A lot of things come off of efficiency and having Aaron Rodgers back there as your quarterback. Um, so, I mean, a lot of 12, a lot of 21 personal heavy sets, stuff like that. Um, um, so it's not like we expect any of these other guys to jump out and be huge. But again, it's all back to ADP and where they're currently going. And I definitely see value in Lazard. And there could even be value in a guy like Tunyon if he does come back. Yeah. Um, you know, We'll see if he does something friendly for the Packers or not. Houston Texans. One of these teams where they could realistically bring in someone at every single position, I think, on the entire team, let alone just skill position, and have that guy take over potentially. It's just that wide open of a roster at the moment. Seems like Davis Mills will be the quarterback again. I thought he showed enough, but now it's Lovey Smith as head coach. Who the hell knows what he thinks? They do have GM uh, continuation, but we'll see, man. Like when I was doing my dream QB spots, I put Cam Newton with the Texans, like not necessarily because I think that'd be a good real life idea. But if there was maybe a team in the NFL that could just stomach Cam for 16 games, let the dude run for another 10 touchdowns, maybe it could be here. The Cam stand in me doesn't even really want to see it, so I'm not sure why I put it out in the universe in the first place. Just realize, like, if there is a team or someone can come in that maybe isn't particularly good anymore but still start, it probably is the Houston Texans. At running back, Rex Burkhead is right now the leader in the locker room. He's 32 or 33 right now for those counting. Uh, David Johnson and Royce Freeman are both unrestricted free agents. The wide receiver room, Chris Conley is a free agent. Chris Moore and Danny Amendola looking like Brandon Cooks. As long as he's a member of the Texans and Nico Collins will be out there in two wide receiver sets. Dwayne, I think the one, because right now, like we're just guessing on who's going to be added. Like Rex Burkhead is not going to be the only running back on this roster by the time free agency is over with. And I think the wide receiver room is, you know, going to have some uh, turnover as well. Tight end is where I'm most interested in because each, a Farrell Brown, Jordan Akins, and Anthony Auclair are unrestricted free agents, leaving a guy by the name of Brevin Jordan entering his year two, potentially as a volume hog tight end in a bad offense. So, don't go crazy, but if we 
looking at Brevin Jordan in round like 16, Dwayne, I prefer if we had a – like if we're going to go late round tight end and you're trying to follow the Dawson Knox model, I know we want a good offense and that is not Houston. But if we are going to go against that, it should be a guy that has a chance to work as their offense's number two, number three pass game option. Maybe, just maybe, that's Brevin Jordan. Yeah, only out there for 24% of the routes, um, you know, per drop back this last season, but a 19% targets per route run, which is really solid for a rookie receiver or rookie tight end. Also at a 69.3 PFF receiving grade, which is pretty solid. And so, and he's a guy that comes in, you know, with a decent profile, right, as a guy that can make things happen after the catch. So I like it. I think right now looking at Brevin Jordan, like you said, not crazy about the offense, but again, for tight ends, and I know we want the, I know we want the good teams because tight ends live a lot right on their touchdowns, you know, and it's like, Hey, if my tight end scores a touchdown this week, he's going to be in the top eight. If he doesn't, he's going to be ranked number 18. And so that's where the good offenses come into play. But on a team like this, where it's really just Brandon cooks, Nico Collins didn't do as well. Like he was okay. Like, well, actually Nico Collins was at a 65 PFF receiving grade. So right there, either one of these guys could step forward and really be more of a number two role. But again, like you mentioned, a lot of moving parts right now with the Texans and they could definitely make moves in free agency or the draft. That'll probably, this deck's going to get reshuffled a lot. Nico's in a similar, similar situation as, Michigan teammate Donovan Peoples-Jones where, yeah, he actually is a trade away from being a number one wide receiver. I really doubt that they're going to enter week one with that as a situation. But keep that in mind. Like when, when these guys are being priced like in the wide receiver 70, wide receiver 80 range, they're just so free. So if you can get just a starter at that point in the draft, you could be doing a lot worse. After the Texans, we got the now quarterbackless Indianapolis Colts. Maybe bring back Swag Kelly. I don't know. Just saying. I'm just saying, everyone. Don't shoot the messenger. Carson Wentz is now a member of the Washington Commanders. Yeah, we got some questions here. Backfield continues to be Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines, who low-key got that nice extension before last season started. Marlon Mack does figure to take his talents elsewhere, but you know he was a healthy scratch majority of last season. Anyway, wide receiver is where it gets a little more interesting. We Again, we don't know who's going to be under center, but Michael Pittman looks like a lot more of a, you know, undisputed wide receiver one here. T.Y. Holden is seemingly taking his talents elsewhere. Zach Pascal maybe is out of the picture. Even Ashton Doolin's a restricted free agent right now. So I think things are looking good for Michael Pittman and giant 72-inch font if Paris Campbell stays healthy. Join. They're not out on him in Indy. And as a Buckeye homer myself, I'm not out on him either. Uh, we could look into that. Even a tight end has a lot of room for upside. Jack Doyle retired, and Mo Alley Cox is an unrestricted free agent. Maybe Kalen Grayson can come in there and take over the job. I just think what we've seen from Frank Reich over the years is that he is going to continue to feature multiple tight ends in his offense. So I'd like to be optimistic about you know Mo Alley Cox resigning, but I think usually uh, we can expect the Colts not to feel you know a consistently fantasy uh, relevant tight end the wide receiver room is where it's interesting Dwayne so what about Paris Campbell man what do we always say if the only thing that you have to say bad about a player is that he's going to get hurt those are situations we, we should continue uh, buying man I get it since he's coming to the league he's yeah. only played 15 of a possible 49 games here are the injuries though Two abdomen strains, one fractured hand, one fractured foot, one concussion, one sprained knee, most recently one significantly sprained foot. You know, I've 
not had Dr. Evan Porras on the pod for a while, but this seems a little bit more like McCaffrey-esque to me, where they're kind of bad luck things that it sucks they happen. I'm not necessarily sure that this 24-year-old, who I don't think missed a game during his career at Ohio State due to injury, is necessarily more injury-prone than the next guy. Yeah, it could be more like the Keenan Allen, right? Keenan really? Allen was injury prone until, you know, he really wasn't. No, he wasn't. Um, only 119 routes as a rookie, so he didn't qualify for, you know, the study that I did around PFF receiving grades, but it wasn't great. It was a 54. Um, again, limited sample size. So it's, tough, it's tough to say too much about that. Last year, he had 120 routes, and he had a PFF receiving grade of 63. So it's still, again, not great. Um, it's definitely there could be opportunity there. We know that he is an athletic player. He hasn't shown enough yet. Um, so, I mean, it's not like a player I'm going to be overly excited about. But again, the cost will be really cheap on someone like Paris Campbell. I like him a little less in best ball and a little better in managed leagues where I can kind of watch him for a week or two and then move on. Like with best ball, you have to be a little careful, right? You can't have too many of these guys at the end. A lot of times at the end, you really want to be taking um, your dart throws at the running backs that could end up, you know, having injuries that catapult them to the top, you know, later in your drafts where Paris Campbell's going. So I don't know that the strategy will work for me there, but in a league where I know I have an option to drop a player like Paris Campbell, I do like him. I've been a bit of a Paris Campbell um, homer, so I, I have to put that disclaimer out there. Um, but with Pittman, all we need, man, is for them to just not be such a run-heavy team. Now, they're going to want to be, and they're going to try, but the Colts, like, let's face it, they also had a lot of good fortune last year in the way the game scripts worked out, and they got the lead so often. Um, but if you look at Michael Pittman, if he was playing in just your average NFL offense from a standpoint of how much they pass and how much they run, man, like, we would be talking about, you know, a player that would, you know, be crushing a lot of weeks. And so with Pittman, you just got to remember that yards per route run 1.95, almost a two on an offense that just wasn't very good throwing the ball. 79.9 receiving grade this last year. Um, so his rookie year wasn't great, but that's a great um, jump up in year two. And uh, and I met the guy. He's a super nice guy. Got you know, I got pictures with Michael Pittman. You know, at a thing that I was at. You know, and he was a super cool dude. So I'm just rooting for him. What's the uh, the line that GM used? It's like, oh, he's the type of guy you want to marry your daughter, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> kind of a weird thing to be uh, thinking about. I'm right not ready for Zoe to get married yet. Yeah, she's not <laughs> old enough. But, yeah, if she was, I would definitely be okay with Michael Pittman. Final point on uh, Paris Campbell. Everyone's looking for the Debo Samuel Comp. Paris Campbell was a high school running back. Now he's you know weighs like 20 pounds less. So it's more of a running back wide receiver, the wide back comp, as opposed to you know actually having the size that – a CPAT or a Debo or even a Visca Chanel uh, has on the equi- on, on the table. But Pittman and Curtis Samuel, man, they are guys that, you know, if they did finish the year, you know, with uh, double-digit rush attempts, wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world. Up next, Jacksonville Jaguars. Similar situation as Houston, at least in terms of their kind of wide receiver tight end room where we can see them, you know, adding a lot of guys that just take over from the incumbent players. But we know Trevor Lawrence, he's you know, going to have, you know, a long leash for several years at least. Running back, we've got ETN coming back from the foot injury. He figures to split things up with uh, um, James Robinson. You know, fingers crossed. Why is – oh, my God. Is Carlos Hyde seriously signed for another year with the Jaguars? Why is he not on this list? <laughs> if I if he is, I didn't see it, and it's not updated on the source I'm looking at. You got it. I've, I've got. I've, I show Robinson and Etn. Oh yeah, it does show Carlos Hyde is still there, but uh, I don't. I don't think that's right. Oh yeah, my! God. I don't either. Okay, thank God. Okay, yeah, Travis he's Etn. He's unrestricted. Okay. Uh, okay. 
Shoot. Thank God we got that off our chest. <laughs> Carlos Hyde's out of the picture in 2022. Hopefully he doesn't go anywhere else. Yeah, and again, wide receiver is where things could get a little bit interesting. DJ Chark, unrestricted free agent. When I went over the dynasty landscape with my guy, Ray G, Chark was actually one of his favorite buy low guys. I like that call. Now, 26-year-old is getting up there, but still a big Big, fast wide receiver that has flashed in the past. Maybe a different situation will lead to better results. Also, I have Laquan Treadwell, Tavon Austin as free agents. Dwayne, this is the part of the year where we start looking at the Jaguars roster. And yeah, there's Marvin Jones. Yeah, there's Jamal Agnew. But is it time to give up on LaVisca Chenault? Probably. I mean, let's face it. Because even Visca, I don't think like he's even he's not going to be as cheap as like Donovan Peoples-Jones and Nico Collins and some of these other guys that probably aren't even in that much of a worse uh, situation. So is there anything you've seen, you know, from LaVisca in terms of the receiving grades and stuff like that over these first two years to make us think he can turn around? Because as much as I love watching the guy as a rookie, yeah, last year was horrendous and he had every single opportunity to turn around. Yeah, I think what we've seen is you can't I don't I don't think LaVisca is likely to turn into an every down receiver that plays outside and inside. He just really struggled on the outside the year before as a rookie working mostly from the slot. He did have a 71.8 PFF rookie receiving grade, which, you know, isn't in that elite category, but definitely in that you know middle of the road where, hey, 50 percent of these players end up hitting. And so with Chanel, I think it's just a matter of how's the offense going to play. And with Doug Peterson, you know, the thing is, we know they use a ton of 11 personnel. I expect Chanel to get to work from the inside again. I'm thinking he will run more routes than he did this last season, only out there 68 percent of the dropbacks. I think you could expect that number to be more around 75 to 85 um, in Doug Peterson's offense. And remember, like Doug Peterson has enabled in the past, like Jordan Matthews wasn't like this great receiver. Are you hyping LaVisca Chenault right now, Dwayne? Do what? Are you hyping LaVisca Chenault right now? Am I hearing Well, his ADP is dirt cheap. I mean, you know, he's a a second-round pick, 42nd overall. The rookie receiving grade was – he's checking some boxes. And so, I mean, think what you have to hope for is that just getting pushed outside really hurt him last year, and he was just doghoused in a bad coaching – you know, in a bad coaching situation. Um, That's what you're you're banking on. But the ADP is good enough that – I think you can take stabs on LaVisca Chenault. It's like 15 right now. I haven't checked it in the last week or two, but whenever I first looked at LaVisca's ADP, I was like, okay, I'd be willing to take a few swings. Not going to prioritize him like every draft. You know, there are certain players like we'll cover, you know, as we get closer to the season where I'm like, you know, I'll probably have 50, 60% exposure of certain players that are going, you know, round seven, eight and on. Um, Visca probably won't be one of those just because we've already seen the two seasons. And I really wish he would have stepped up last season and shown more because we know the Jaguars needed him. Um, but I mean, there is a narrative like you could look at and how bad things were with Urban Meyer. He had a rookie quarterback. So late, I don't mind Visca. I do think there is a potential fit there with Doug Peterson. Um, again, we saw Jordan Matthews, you know, have a huge year playing from the slot. And uh, we saw Nelson Aguilar do okay you know, from the slot, never quite what people expected, you know, out of him. So we'll see. Dwayne practicing what we preach. Don't hate the player, hate the ADP right now. This guy's ADP pretty easy to like last note. uh, Just keep an eye on this tight end room a little bit. James O'Shaughnessy and Jacob Hollister, both unrestricted free agents. That could mean Dan Arnold, who's one of these tight ends, who is really more of a pass first, uh, you know, pass first receiving tight end whatever you want to call him. But if he can get that 90% snap rate or something like that that we're talking about, all of a sudden he could be a nice little fantasy factor. He did have a nice little, uh, uh, you know, he did have a nice role 
chemistry, if you will, with Trevor Lawrence last year. And as Dwayne talked about with Doug Peterson, he certainly does know how to enable a uh, fantasy-relevant tight end or two. Moving on from the Jaguars, the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, another situation where I think in the passing game, maybe they do try to add another receiver. I just don't know if there's ever going to be enough targets concentrated to a third party to really get anyone other than Tyreek and Travis Kelsey mightily involved. Maybe Miko Hardman finally takes the next, next step, but I don't know, man, how many more times do we need to go through this? But hey, if the ADP is low enough, they don't add some other guys back, maybe we can't get on the train. They are bringing back Josh Gordon. Love that. But Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle, both unrestricted free agents, as is Marcus Kemp. Um, maybe you know, they go back and ask Juju Smith-Schuster to come again. There's a lot of, I guess, mutual interest during the last free agency cycle with him. So, yeah, keep an eye on kind of the wide receiver room, what they're going to do at the number two, number three spot. Dwayne, the other situation to keep an eye on is at running back. Both Jarek McKinnon and Darrell Williams are unrestricted free agents. Now, we saw both of them kind of get the targets that we were hoping Clyde Edwards-Alaire was going to get last year. In the playoffs, even Jarek McKinnon was leaned on over Clyde Edwards-Alaire, even though we were, you know, told or led to believe that CEH was healthy. How do you balance this? Because on the one hand, Clyde could be a value, someone that's never been cheaper in drafts, that probably projects as a starting running back for the Chiefs. But like, are we seriously hanging our hat on Clyde Edwards-Alaire? Like, okay, we need Daryl Williams and Jarek McKinnon to be out of the picture. Like, I feel like I'm starting to make, like, our LaVisca Chenault joke again about Clyde Edwards-Alaire. <laughs> like, okay, as long as every other running back a roster, you know, is somewhere else, he'll be fine. Is Clyde someone that we've just kind of seen to this point is not going to get the role we want from the Chiefs? Or could this, again, be a nice little buy-low opportunity? Yeah, I mean, again, I don't mind the ADP right now on Clyde because we know there's a great offense. He was a former first-round pick. We do see some of these guys take a few years to get going. It's you know, injuries have been a big part of of what's hurt Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Um, but at the same time, it's really it's disappointing when he can't just wrestle the job away from Daryl Williams. He can't just wrestle the the job away from Jarek McKinnon. Not to be disrespectful to those two players, but you would expect your first round pick right. to be able to do that by now. And so I think that that's a question because like. I feel like those two backs, like that's nothing special. Anybody else they bring in could be as good as one of those two backs, right? That's the problem. (laughs) They they, they could cause another committee. I think, you know, when you look at his ADP, you're betting on the Chiefs offense. And finally, you know, that, look, he stays healthy. I think that's really what you're betting on. I think if you want to make a bet that, well, yeah, Darrell Williams is gone and McKinnon's not there. uh, Okay. But like, really? I mean, those two guys, that shouldn't scare us. Those two names should not have scared us around Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So he's a player I've really got to spend some more time on. Um, But there's the offense is great. I don't like the fact that he can't make the explosive plays. Like he just has not done well from that standpoint. And again, some of that could be tied back to injuries. The guys battled a lot of injuries. <laughs> um, you know, he's always had, it, it's like an ankle or a knee is always, you know, you, you got a lot of questionable tags missing some time here and there. So I think it's interesting. Um, look, we, we hoped with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, like the thing we were all buying into was, wow, look at what the, you know, Andy Reid did with Brian Westbrook and, you know, all these other backs, you know, historically and how often they got him to the ball. And look, the thing is, like, Patrick Mahomes just doesn't do that. I mean, Andy Reid may have that as still part of his offense, but Patrick Mahomes really wants to push the ball down the field. Now, you could argue that what defenses are doing, and we did see Mahomes adjust last year and throw more to the, to the backs, and we did see that with McKinnon, right? So – I, Edwards Alaire is one of these interesting guys, Ian, where I feel like we could easily, I could make a point and you could counterpoint it. 
you can make a point <laughs> and I could counterpoint it. And we end up right in the middle. So I, here's a guy I'm sure we're going to spend a lot more time on because the ADP is going to probably be appealing. Um, but right now I, I you know, I want to get some exposure, but I'm not super excited, but I'm also not in a situation where I'm like, Oh, I'm never going to touch Clyde Edwards Alaire. He'll only be 20. He'll only be 23. So I would just hope that these, like if they're going to bring back Daryl and Jarek, I hope, I hope they get paid as human beings. But for Clyde Edwards Hilaire's fantasy value, if they bring back McKinnon and Daryl like on something closer to like a veteran minimum deal as opposed to like a legit multi-year, now they're making four or five million a year, I'd feel a lot better about it not being a committee as early as week one. Next up, we got the Las Vegas Raiders. There's been some murmurs about a uh, Derek Carr trade, but um, I, I think that's probably you know something that won't come to fruition. We'll see. Um, we'll worry about that at a later date. For right now, he does remain the uh, uh, Las Vegas Raiders quarterback for 2022. I think bigger questions could be at running back and wide receiver. Obviously, Darren Waller is still sitting pretty as the tight end one. But at running back, Josh Jacobs, we saw, and Josh McDaniels has already said that, yeah, he can go out there and catch passes. Let's make sure that that is going to be their attitude in free agency. Obviously, Kenyon Drake was hurt down the stretch last year. That could come back and influence uh, Jacobs' exact role uh, when they're both healthy. But also, we have Jalen Rashard, who's an unrestricted free agent. He's been stealing some obvious pass down snaps away from Jacobs over the years. Maybe just maybe McDaniels brings old friend James White on over into Vegas as well. So just I would feel a lot better about Jacobs having that pass down role if there is not, you know, a legit pass first scat back also on the roster. And then wide receiver should be the Hunter Renfro show. Then Darren Waller. I don't know if there's going to be enough, you know, kind of we've seen Derek Carlisle. He'll just ignore you if he's not feeling good about throwing you the ball. Like that's the Brian Edwards um, experience kind of wrapped up in one sentence there. So Zay Jones and Deshaun Jackson are free agents. But I just think the number two, number three receiver in this offense might not be giving you much as it is. So, Dwayne, if anything, like if we can get out of this free agency period with Josh Jacobs still sitting pretty as the fairly undisputed RB1, we got Jacobs, we got Waller, we got Renfro, and I think we're probably good. Yeah, I, I, yeah, this is a team where I'd like to see Jay, Zay Jones, you know, get a decent contract and be able to come back after what he did down the stretch last year. But I think this is really all about Waller and about Hunter Renfro. And if you look at Renfro, I think you have to get super excited just because what we've seen Josh McDaniels do with slot receivers, how often he's able to keep them on the field by keeping them out there, even when they go to 12 and 21 personnel, having them play the Z or the flanker position. Um, you got to split in opposite right on the other side. So whenever you look at Renfro, his career high routes run per dropback was last season at 78%, but he's really not out there when they're in 12 and 21. So I think you're going to see a see a, a career high for Hunter Renfro as far as routes run per drop back. You know, he's enabled, if you look at McDaniels, you know, he's enabled Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, um, even Jacoby Myers. It's not, it's not just like, you know, well, well Dwayne, you're giving me some of the elite, you know, <laughs> slot receivers of all time. But I think Hunter Renfro is in that. I think he can be in that conversation. Like he's really good. And so it's not just trying to say, Oh, well, we got the small white guy and we got Josh McDaniels. This is looking historically at what he's been able to do. Man, I think Hunter Renfro, like in my mind, I, I don't see how he's not going to be a top 24 receiver this year. And I think there's a path if they keep Derek Carr where he could, he could be borderline top 12 again. Like it could really happen knowing what they've done in the past and how much McDaniels has, has enabled this sort of player. And I know people are immediately like, well, what about Darren Waller? Okay. With all of those players, what was the other thing we had in common? A good tight end, 
a good tight end played with Edelman, a good tight end played, two good tight ends played um, with Wes Welker. So it can be something that could, I think it's a perfect fit for McDaniels and what he's really good at maximizing, which is the tight end and the slot receiver. It's a good point there. Uh, the, the latter point about playing with these good tight ends, because we always talk about guys like Deshaun Jackson and having that field stretching speed to open things up for everyone else. But when they're doing that on the outside, like you could argue that having the tight end stretching the seams is actually better for someone like Renfro, who's you know, really working more still in the middle of the field, but in those underneath. Because their 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 routes overlap more. I mean, you yeah, know, exactly. as a guy that played linebacker, you got a slot guy and you got a tight end. Like usually, a lot of times, their their routes are between the numbers. You know, so they're all taking up some of the same space and that's where they layer, you know, these different route concepts that give you, you know, the quarterback dropping back, typically look deep first, right? And then come back underneath. Forcing linebacker safety, whoever carrying that tight end deep, Renfro comes right in the open spot, catches 120 balls. Fun tweet here from, oh yeah, Dwayne. Let's do it. Fun tweet from Dwayne, at Dwayne McFarlane. He's a good follow, everyone. Hunter Renfro has probably been having breakfast, lunch, and dinner with Derek Carr for three years. Take that, Cooper Cup. Let's do it. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner narrative for uh, Carr and Renfro. Why the hell not? All right. Los Angeles Chargers. Thank you, as always, for sticking with us here on the PFF fantasy football podcast with the chargers you know obviously them going going ahead and acquiring khalil mack awfully scary defense coming your way but they still have some moves to make on offense as well particularly at the tight end position obviously we got herbert still there austin eckler should and will be the undisputed rb1 we do need to see what happens at backup running back justin jackson is an unrestricted free agent they might be good enough you know with uh, kelly and some of the other guys they have to let him walk but as we saw you know in that houston texans game jackson is you know the handcuff to have in la behind austin eckler if he's going to rejoin the team mike williams was re-signed to a fat 20 million dollar per year deal that's awesome for big mike go get paid we know keenan's number one mike's number two i think jalen guyton will be back he's an exclusive rights free agent so all they have to do is give him the minimum what'll be interesting is how they split it up between guyton and josh palmer I have a feeling it's going to still be somewhat split and probably render each guy as a non-relevant fantasy option. Maybe we can still get some booms here or there. It is Justin Herbert under center, but having Mike Williams back uh, really is going to make things tough for Palmer to have a true second-year breakout. And yeah, Dwayne, tight end really is the spot where things are going to get interesting. Jared Cook, Steven Anderson, both unrestricted free agents. They usually formed a three-way committee with Donald Parham, who's just an exclusive rights free agent himself. Uh, Last year for our Beat Writer series, which we will do again this year i want to do a little bit closer to the season so we can get more actionable fancy notes from our lovely beat writer cast but daniel popper from the athletic i just asked him about donald parham because i i'm an xfl lifer everyone i love donald parham i understand how talented he is as a receiver but what popper was saying was that you know the chargers they just kind of realized that parham he's a big receiver playing tight end he did, he did not think parham would ever be a guy that can go out there and actually play a full game's worth of snaps so We'll see kind of what's going on with Parham. I think, though, Dwayne, depending on who they bring in, we could be looking at another tight end rotation. And similar to the Raiders, like, okay, we got Eckler, we got Keenan, we got Mike Williams. Things might just be too crowded behind those guys to enable anyone else. Yeah, it would need to be a significant name. You know, I mean, they let Hunter Henry go the year before, um, you know, and then Jared Cook came in to replace him. Not much that we got out of it. But I I think this is an offense that, honestly, it's going to probably look a lot like it did last year. Now, they could invest you know, some early capital in the draft that may make us rethink some things. But I think you're, I think you're spot on with Palmer and Guyton. 
I mean, there's a chance Palmer really takes over that role. But if we looked at it last year when Keenan Allen was out, like Palmer really works more of those areas of the field. Now they could use him more down down the field, but Guyton really does seem to be their field stretcher. So if they bring him, bring him back, I think they view those two guys differently. And so it, that's what creates that rotation based on down and distance and what they're trying to do in the game at the time. But definitely with Mike Williams coming back, that is a blow to Josh Palmer. So I think it's pretty much just about Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and we'll see what they do at tight end. Obviously, Austin Eckler is the king. Are, where do you kind of see yourself ranking Mike Williams ahead of next year? Because he's kind of starting to fit as this guy where everyone looks at him and they go, oh, look at the second half of the year. Look how bad he was in his bad games. And they're like, yeah, okay. He also had, you know, 1,100 yards and um, eight or nine touchdowns. But look at the bad games. Like, are we not giving enough credit to the guy? I know he's going to have – He's always going to have that boomer bust nature to him. But if we can get the guy priced kind of as a wide receiver three, wide receiver four, I'll probably sign up for those booms again, Dwayne. No, I'm going to sign up as well. And here's why. The dot, you know, still stayed pretty consistent all season. You know, it wasn't like he was just this deep, you know, down the field threat. His dot finished at 12 last season. Like he's always been like a 16, 17, yeah. 18 guy. So he truly was getting utilized in a different manner, which is going to enable more of those targets. People forget, like he got hurt. I can't remember, Ian, if it was like week five or week six, then he kind of tried to play through it. And he was never the same for the rest of the season. So I think there's a, I think there's a chance, you know, because so some of these guys, you know, these injuries they pick up and even though they're not season ending, like we just think, oh, well, he'll, he'll be back. He'll be back. Like there are certain injuries that these guys take on, um, you know, depending on the grade of the injury that they're just battling all season. And I think that's that to me is plausible for Mike Williams. So right now, like he'll be in the wide receiver three range, you know, to answer your question. But I think there's definitely upside from there because you mentioned it like he's shown us like he can be a boom bust wide receiver three already. But if what we saw over the early part of the season comes to fruition again, I think there's upside in Mike Williams, who's a guy they clearly like. They just gave him a, a ton of money. So I expect Mike Williams to be a potential value. We'll see where he settles in, you know, at ADP. But my guess is I'll own plenty of Mike Williams. Like he, he's, he'll probably still be cheaper than Tyler Lockett, even though Russ is gone. And I think he's kind of getting dinged for the same Tyler Lockett. Yeah. Like, okay, you went off in the weeks that I benched you. You probably had a massive week eight. Mike Williams did have a massive week 18 game when fantasy was done. And, you know, for some reason, these things are just weighted more heavily against him. Moving right along, though, we got the Los Angeles Rams championship season. They're bringing the whole squad back. Band getting back together. OBJ is an unrestricted free agent, but certainly seems like uh, he and the Rams both want to bring him back. Uh, here's to hoping he recovers from that torn ACL ASAP Rocky. Otherwise, though, man, I mean, in his absence, it should be Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and Van Jefferson, three wide receiver sets. Tyler Higby is, you know, signed up for quite a while still. Really, the only question is, like, will Sony Michelle be back? And I would assume the answer is no. You already have Cam Akers, still Daryl Henderson, uh, and Michelle was someone that, you know, even though he did kind of beat out Henderson, there's some injury stuff going on there. And I think they want to make Akers uh, their fairly undisputed RB1. But that's kind of my question here, Dwayne. What will the Rams do at running back? Because if they do, go ahead and draft another one of these guys in the top three rounds or – sign Michelle to like a multi-year deal or someone else, that would give me hesitancy in anticipating Akers having, you know, the sort of tall girly esque every down roll. 
Yeah, that would give me concern too. I expect if Michelle's back, it's on a minimum type deal. Like yeah. that's the way I would I would think. If they did anything besides that, or if they put draft capital in a back, and I I don't know that they will. But it, I mean, we'll, we'll have to see. They don't have a ton of picks. I don't know that they could really be using it. You know, with yeah, the picks they do true. have on a backfield. So, but we've seen them do some interesting things. You know, in the past that we may not have expected either. So we'll have to see how it plays out. I think the biggest question for me, thinking about you know the Rams this year, and you talked about will OB. G, oh, will OBJ be back? OBG. <laughs> will OBJ be back? Oh my God. Uh, I, like, I don't think Tutu Atwell is going to be a factor, right? Just, you know, it's stiff, cool breeze blows him off the field. I think was what somebody tweeted, and I just I was laughing. I guess when he does the chicken dance. <laughs> so I think, you know, Van Jefferson, what does that mean for him? But I think the other question is like, what do we really believe about Robert Woods? You know, Robert Woods last year. Um, even when he was healthy and playing, even though he was doing a lot of things and the Rams, you know, the teammates all seemed to love him, like his role was clearly reduced. And I mean, I remember early on in the season, I was like, I was holding on. I was like, there's, there can't be this big of a discrepancy between Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. I just didn't see how it would continue to be like a 15 percentage point disparity, right, between the two of them. 20, and, and targets per route, it got a little closer. Um, 21% versus 30%, but I just didn't see how, uh, well, and overall target share, 29%, uh, 31%. Uh, Woods is adjusted rate. If you get rid of the games where he missed would have been 19%. I just, you know, I thought the two guys would be more like 5% apart. So I think that's the question. Like, what do we do with Robert Woods? Is it truly just Cooper Cup, like who's going as the one-one quite often in, in PPR drafts? And Woods is now, you know, this afterthought low-end wide receiver three, or does he have an opportunity to really carve back more of a role? Now he will be 30 and a half years old next season next season in September when the when we get things going. So, but that, you know, that's not like typically where the cliff is. It these cliffs could hit anyone at any time. But it's not like he's 33. He's not 35. You know, he's still in that stretch that he could be good. So the guy I'm thinking through about what may happen here is what I'm doing with Robert Woods. I don't know what your thoughts are. He did turn around after that hellacious first month, the final yeah. five games, wide receiver eight, 37, 25, 11, and 12. I believe if you want to be a dick and just look at like weeks one through nine, say F you to all the teams that had a buy. Woods like finishes pretty well overall among the wide receivers, but having, you know, it seems like OBJ gave that offense, you know, that jump ball receiver on the outside and maybe OBJ loses a little bit of those, you know, the crossers and the kind of yak stuff that I think Robert Woods has made more of a living on. But either way, Dwayne, I think that's for OBJ and Woods to figure out. Cooper Cup, I mean, even if he's not going to have the best wide receiver, even if he's not going to vie for having the best wide, rec wide receiver season ever, every single season, certainly seems like he's locked and loaded as that, you know, undisputed number one option, present and future. After the Rams, let's talk some Miami Dolphins. Already mentioned Mike Desicki coming back, holding down the tight end room. You know, quarterback, it seems like, you know, everything that McDaniel's been saying about uh, Tua is that he's going to be back under center. It uh, seems like they're kind of out of the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. We are recording this uh, Friday afternoon, so I'm not sure um, exactly what's going down with the Deshaun Watson situation. But, yeah, a lot of free agents here for the Dolphins to sort through. But similar to kind of some of these teams we've talked about, I think it's uh, fairly easy to figure out the passing game pecking order almost regardless. Jalen Waddle is going to be one. You know, probably 2A, 2B is going to be Devontae 
Parker and Mike Tosicki. After that, we'll see because Mac Hollins, Albert Wilson, Will Fuller, Isaiah Ford, all these guys are unrestricted free agents. Even Preston Williams is a restricted free agent at running back. Philip Lindsay, Duke Johnson, Malcolm Brown, all unrestricted free agents. Even Patrick Lair is a restricted free agent. So uh, similar to Mike Davis in a way, Dwayne, Miles Gaskin could all of a sudden make it through uh, this offseason and be looking at a similar role as he had last year. The only difference would be, I would, I'm guessing, you could get him for, you know, priced as like an RB, lower end RB3 as opposed to the top 25 guy we had to pay for last year. So I'm interested to see what they do at running back because this is one of the few teams where, uh, you know, a three down stud could come out of the blue. Like if they just say, hey, we're drafting Brees Hall, he's going to be our guy. Okay, we could project him for a ton of touches in this offense because in the passing game again i think it's going to be waddle Drasicki, and parker in some order yeah i think you got it and we're going to see far more uh, we'll see we're going to see less 11 personnel right from this group we're going to see more of the 12 let's see if they add a fullback um don't really have a fullback on the team right now so those are some of the little things that you can pay attention to um when you have a new coaching staff like this come in you know that had come from really the kyle shanahan style and they want to run more of the 12 and 21 but they do have the tight ends to run multiple tight ends so i'm guessing that's how they're going to go they drafted hunter long in the third round last year, they already have Gusecki, who we hit on before, and they have Adam Shaheen. And then they have Durham Smythe, who is a unrestricted free agent, so he could leave. But, I mean, they're going to have three to four tight ends. So I expect them to play heavy a lot. And I think that plays well for Fuller, being the guy that they're really going to – you know. and remember, if you're in a situation where you've got less receivers on the field, that's shown to historically be good for your yards per route run based on some work that Hayden Winks did last offseason. So those are things with Fuller and with Parker that I think are positive. Parker, we know we're always going to have to battle through the injuries. It is what it is. But he could all of a sudden have that season like we have seen um, where he stays healthy the whole time. And those two guys could be, you know, they could be a, they could be a great tandem. So Gasecki, I think, will be involved, but not as much as people might think because of his limitations in the run blocking game. I'm not really that interested in Miles Gaskin. I thought Duke Johnson honestly outplayed Miles Gaskin towards oh, the yeah. end last year. And look, Gaskin's a seventh round pick. Um, it is an offense that that you know historically we've seen some really good things from running backs. So you got to keep that in mind with Mike McDaniel's getting there. Um, but I don't think there's a real clear leader in the clubhouse if you will and I, I do expect some draft capital to go towards running back with the dolphins dolphins were four and one when duke johnson played last year i'm just saying I'm it was just your saying. year Ian. like i mean it was your year like i you should be a billionaire this year like, <laughs> with, with I, you should have had all the bets down corderell patterson duke johnson like man the only thing you didn't get was odd and tate if i, I actually if I actually followed my heart in fantasy, though, I wasn't so broke from like the previous five years that I'd probably only be scraping back to even. I am curious uh, where Will Fuller could go because last year for him to command yeah. about $10.6 million one year, obviously couldn't stay healthy. And that's been the story throughout his career, except for you know the year he did stay healthy in 2020 and he was putting up absolutely bonkers numbers with uh, Deshaun Watson. Maybe absolutely bonkers. Quite a little bit of a hyperbole. He was having a great season. It was a good. It was going well though. And yes. look, he he's gonna have value. Um, I, I know last year didn't work out, but he's still one of the best deep threats in the league. He's got that true elite speed. So he's a guy to really keep an eye on. Um, I am drafting Will Fuller quite often um, if I'm doing any drafts right now, just because you can get him for free. And we know that the talent's there. Um, you still got the draft capital. Um, you've got the speed. He's going to land on a team. He's just got to stay healthy. He's going to start on a team. He's going to score some long touchdowns for however long he's healthy. And as we like to say, if the worst thing to say about a guy is he's going to get hurt, there's a good chance they are undervalued in fantasy land. 
All right. After the Dolphins, we have the Minnesota Vikings. Captain Kirk Cousins seems to still be their quarterback of the moment, much to the jargon of a lot of these Vikings fans. I know, but you know what, guys? You could do worse. I understand that. When you could also do better, maybe the idea is to go worse and then get a lot better. Uh, either way, Kirk Cousins will be under center. Keep an eye on that Dalvin Cook legal situation. I know it's not exactly the biggest one in the news uh, these days, but Alexander Madison still somehow 23 years old. We know he has, you know, RB1 upside whenever Cook misses time. God forbid Cook like is suspended or something. Madison will be a weekly RB1 in a new offense. Maybe it is split up a little bit more than usual, and we actually get like some Tony Pollard esque standalone value where no you're not thrilled about starting madison but you can at least put him in the flex spot potentially wide receiver it's going to be justin jefferson and adam thielen even kj osborne is back to hold down his wide receiver three spot Dwayne, this is our late round tight end though irv smith still just 23 years old i believe i saw a report today that tyler conklin might actually be getting enough suitors elsewhere where he could not he might not be back in minnesota my guy chris herndon's an unrestricted free agent luke stalker's an unrestricted free agent irv smith has flashed in a major way in his early career. I thought I always compared him to Dallas Goddard as like an overqualified tight end two that just split reps too much. Like him and Kyle Rudolph were splitting snaps, splitting targets, and Irv just didn't have the opportunity. Going into last year, we kind of got off Irv after uh, you know they were talking to Mike Zimmer, and Zimmer was just saying that Conklin was kind of just going to take Kyle Rudolph's reps and still be split. Maybe, just maybe, Dwayne, the Vikings take their talented former high-round tight end draft pick and let him have the full-time role that his talents deserve. We have a new offense to go find out. And, hey, Kevin O'Connell, you know, he didn't take off the field very often. Tyler Higby. Yeah, I mean, it's a great chip, you know, to, to place a, a bet on in fantasy drafts, especially right now, in my opinion. Um, what happened? He got hurt. <laughs> That's it. Like, I mean, had he not gotten hurt last year, he probably might have been a top 12. Um, so, I mean, Tyler Conklin came in and is not as good of a player as Irv Smith and did OK, you know, for fantasy um, you know, managers. So, yeah, I love the Irv Smith call. I think, you know, especially right now. Do it, do it all you can right now. The ADP on him will rise because, again, people are going to look at him. They're finally, you know, this is a young player that's still got first round capital or second round capital from just uh, 2019, not that long ago. And you know what tight ends look like. It's a mess after you get outside the top six or eight. So people are going to see that upside. I expect his ADP to move up. So I think that, like I said, is a great call on your part. The other thing just to remember with O'Connell, probably going to see a lot more 11 personnel. So that's going to keep things open, um, you know, for, you know, when you think about a guy like K.J. Osborne, who did flash last season, um, the biggest kind of concern before, right, really under the Kubiak offense, whether it was Gary or Clint, didn't matter. You just weren't going to see a ton of the 11 personnel. Now, they had to use it more because of game scripts, but ultimately, if they could, they wanted to use more of the 12. They wanted to keep things a little heavier. They got C.J. Ham. That's their fullback, 21 personnel they use. I think you're going to see a lot more 11 personnel, maybe up to 80% of their snaps could be out of three wide receiver sets. So that is a good thing for KJ Osborne as a late round pick, especially knowing that Adam Thielen will be entering his age 32 season. 
I'm happy you brought up the 11 personnel part because hand up, I was wrong about remembering that report. Apparently Conklin actually was quoted by saying he would love to return the Vikings in 2022. We'll see if they have a similar feeling. Uh, shout out to NBC Sports Edge, always having some great news out there, but they brought up a good point in the blurb where Ian Thomas just got a three-year, you know, $16.95 million deal. If someone else is going to get up to Conklin, I'm very skeptical at the Vikings. One, have the capability of matching that, and two, I really would feel the need for someone that should be their number two tight end either way. So keep an eye on that. Irv Smith, though, I'm still seeing him, you know, ranked and kind of going around like that late tight end 18, 19, 20 range. Uh, I'd certainly rather take a chance on him than someone like, uh, you know, Cole Komet, who's going several rounds before. After the Vikings, the New England Patriots, not too much going on here. The one pipe dream we have in New England is if James White and Brandon Bolden are out of the picture. As always in New England, there's always three, sometimes even four running backs involved in the committee. God forbid we just get Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson week after week. That'd be spectacular. Maybe a lot of you already thought that was the case. And in some of those blowout games the Patriots had, it was the case. But Brandon Bolden and before him, James White. Low-key, Dwayne, James White caught six passes each of those first two games uh, last year. They were always out there as pass-down specialists to take away uh, those ever-fantasy-friendly targets. Jacoby Myers is a restricted free agent. He is ex- fully expected to come back. And then you just look at where the Patriots have their money tied up. It's going to be Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith at tight end, Jacoby Myers between Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar, most likely. You know, there's some Nikhil Harry trade stuff going around. I think that ship has sailed. Maybe they, you know, try to bring in a, a high-round rookie wide receiver. Um, either way, I think there's enough kind of incumbent carryover at wide receiver and tight end to make any more receivers coming through New England um, kind of tough to really uh, feel good about in fantasy land. So are you with me here, Dwayne, where I think the running back room in uh, New England is the most important place to keep an eye on because God forbid White and Bolden leave. Hey, now we got two viable fantasy running backs. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree on, on the running backs. You know, we'll see. They've always had three involved. Like, it's just, know. you know, it's like, you know, changing underwear, Ian, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they, always have three involved. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like just every year. It's like, doesn't matter, you know, putting on a new pair is the RB3, right? Who's the guy that we're going to have out there like 20%, whether it's Rex Burkett, whether it's Dion Lewis, whether it's Kevin Falk. It doesn't matter. We can go to we the end of time. It's one of those trends we've seen. A lot of times with coaches, we'll throw that out, right? We'll say, well, look, they, they did what they could with what they had. But for whatever reason, they love to do this. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I'll, I'll keep my fingers crossed that we could think it's a two-way backfield. I think the thing to watch for, right, is if they add another back um, or they add another, or they think they're going to get someone else involved as the third back, but it's not a passing down back, then that could be really good for Ramondre Stevenson because he could probably be the guy that would be in, a, in line to – maybe handle 30, 40% of the rushing attempts, but also pick up, you know, more of those routes, you know, as the guy behind Damian Harris. And then they, the third guy would just be more of a first and second down banger. Like they've done it different ways. It's not like it's always the pass receiving back. That's like the third in the pecking order. They've had years where the pass receiving back is really the second pecking order. And then they got another guy that they use on short down and distance. So we'll just keep an eye on that. I think with the receivers, I agree that, you know, there's going to be enough incumbents back, but none of these guys, you know, we look at and we're like, oh, my God, these are good players or, or great players. They're, they, you know, Kendrick Bourne did nice, like Jacoby Myers, like, you know, you pumped him up last season. Like, I think for, you know, being someone that was undrafted, Jacoby, J- Jacoby Myers has been, you know, a nice player. I think he'd still be OK. But if they did spin early capital on a receiver or made a big move at wide receiver, 
which most of the big guys now are signed. Like the, you know, the guys that we thought maybe could be free, like a Chris Godwin, you know, that would have definitely like, if he landed here, I would be like, yeah, he's clearly above them. Right. So the only other thing I could see is if they did spend, uh, you know, their first round pick on a, on a rookie receiver that we really like, I, I could see ourselves as the preseason goes along, talking ourselves into like, look, none of these guys are really like that big of an obstacle. You know, if the rookie can come into camp, pick things up quickly and get going and, and just really gel with Mac Jones, who's going to be, looking for who's going to be you know the guy who's his battery mate like for the next three four or five years before uh you know they move on you know to someone else at receiver like who is that person they don't have it right now it's really just a smattering of all these different guys maybe they're not going to leave Aguilar for dead the dude's making the 24th most uh dollars per year among all wide receivers like the contract they gave him last year was crazy and you know he he brought up running off coverages is all that's all he was doing some good things in the eagles super bowl run he was a very you know yak heavy underneath receiver that made a lot of plays for that team and then he had the drop build gear afterwards he goes to the raiders and actually emerges as cars like undisputed number one receiver and had a great year uh with the raiders comes to new england and like the sort of just underneath stuff i thought that he would get kendrick Bourne was mostly getting and to be fair uh doing well with it so yeah if talent wise i, I hear you like chris Olave, any of these guys i think could come in and probably be better i do just wonder if they're done kind of addressing the position because of all the dollars uh tied up already i mean that that was crazy last year man free agency started and within like 20 minutes <laughs> i felt like the patriots had dished out like 90 million dollars uh to a lot of these guys so fingers crossed they're a little bit more chill at the deadline uh this year after the patriots we got the new orleans saints one of these teams uh one of the few teams i should say that is still in need of a quarterback uh both Jameis and trevor simeon unrestricted free agents i pray to god the Taysom hill quarterback experience is over uh, i think we've had to talk about that man a little too much over the years on this podcast uh running back figures to continue to be alvin kamara keep an eye on that legal situation as well uh don't forget he was charged right after the pro bowl uh for i believe assaulting someone so not 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 great um and then wide receiver michael thomas is expected to be back and fully healthy they'll need him to be traquan smith unrestricted free agent uh kenny stills little jordan humphrey and deontay harris also could be hitting the market uh worth noting that deontay and little jordan are restricted free agents tight end looks like probably adam Troutman, nick vanette splitting things up again so really Dwayne, we gotta see who's gonna be quarterback here it seems like you know uh, there's some mutual interest in bringing Jameis back if they do bring Jameis back, the number two wide receiver spot is where things could get a little bit interesting. Now, last year, Jameis really had some volume problems, but I don't really think this version of the Saints without Sean Payton are going to necessarily be as good. If they don't address these positions, if they don't really address their wide receiver hole and they think who they have is fine, maybe, just maybe, Deontay Harris emerges as someone in the later rounds that we can feel somewhat okay about because, Dwayne, I know you've been doing a ton of uh, wide receiver studies throughout this offseason. You can't look anything up from last year. I think you, you can even use a minimum target threshold of 50 without seeing Deontay freaking Harris's name popping up with PFF receiving grade, yards per out run. The guy might only be 5'6", weighs 160, soaking wet or whatever. The guy played some good ball last year. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a player that, you know, if he had a bigger role, like can can he sustain it? Um, and can, is he, you know, can he be physical enough? Can he take the pounding, right, that you take? Like, that's always the question. Like, he's not – Tyreek Hill is short, but, like, his BMI is good. You know, Tyreek Hill has got, you know, a lot of muscle to him. Deontay Harris is truly more of that smaller, great athlete burner, but, you know, 
can he really, you know, take the punishment, you know, that you've got to take in the NFL. But to your point, like in the limited amount of uses that he had, which was 212 routes, like so that qualifies for most things I look at. I put my cutoff at 200 routes, um, but he's only out there for 36 percent you know, of the routes last season. Um, but his targets per route run was highest on the team. 27% of the time he was in a route, he was targeted by far the number one on the team, um, you know, of anybody that had at least, you know, 100 routes, even even if we took it down to that, like he's, he's the best on the team. So that was even better than Kamara. Now, again, we don't know what's going to happen with the offense. Um, you got a defensive coordinator now leading the team. We don't have a quarterback. So mostly the saints for me right now are just an avoid. Um, I, I don't know what's going to even happen. Even if they draft a, a rookie receiver, Right. I mean, I guess you could say Michael Thomas is a guy that, you know, where he's going in ADP, maybe there's some value. But again, the quarterback situation is such a question right now. I think this is a team we have to readdress once we see what happens. I will say Michael Thomas. I mean, we do have evidence of him without Drew Brees, and he was somehow able to make it through both the Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill experience, putting up some numbers. So while everyone's just screaming, slant boy, slant boy this, that slant boy <laughs> that, he had over 100 yards with Taysom Hill under center. So give that guy a little bit more credit. Hopefully he comes back as the same guy that we saw, uh, you know, really dominating the league, you know, all the way back in 2019. And his profile – right as a receiver is not one that's going to deteriorate as much right as no. someone that has to win with their speed michael thomas is a guy that can win more like a tight end does right with the nuance of his route running yeah. his toughness he just has to be able to stay healthy can he continue to take the punishment i think you could even take a little off and say look the injuries may hurt his speed a little bit things like that i think the way that he wins you could still see him continuing to do so, even if he's not quite, you know, as fast or as quick as he may have been three years ago. And maybe get him like a legit field stretching option. I love Ted Ginn, but the dude was like 35 <laughs> when he was out there legitimately working as the Saints number two uh, wide receiver. And I don't know, Dwayne, it might be kind of hard to run deep when your quarterbacks are 40-year-old Drew Brees, Teddy Bridgewater, and Taysom Hill. So maybe just a few more things going into uh, that equation. Moving right along, though, we got the New York football giants. There's been some rumors that Saquon Barkley could be on the move, but they did, you know, last year pick up his fifth-year option. So if, uh, you know, pending a trade, Saquon will be the RB1 in New York again. There's also been some murmurs about potentially the Giants having interest in Mitch Trubisky coming in and taking over uh, or at least competing with Daniel Jones. Both of those guys, uh, Dwayne, I know they're not sexy. I was catching a lot of shit on Twitter for, you know, a quote draft. It's always the quote uh Always the quote uh, graphics. I, you know, I read like 3,000 words in the free agency uh, quarterbacks and, you know, they pull out one line. But <laughs> Daniel Jones and Mitch Trubisky are bad real-life quarterbacks that are better in fantasy. Now, they're still not guys that were necessarily going to be ranking in the top 12. But like Dwayne, we saw when Daniel Jones was a rookie and he had, I think, like three 30-plus point performances. The, the trendy stat was only Lamar Jackson had more 30-point uh, games than Daniel Jones. And last year, before he got that concussion against the Cowboys, he was someone we were hyping up as a streamer because of how much he runs the ball. Mitch Trubisky, in 2018, when he was putting up some splash performances before hurting his shoulder, runs the ball. That's really all it comes down to. I understand Trubisky and Jones, they're white quarterbacks. We don't really think they're the guys that run the ball as much as they do, but that is what we've seen over the years. So this could be a bad team but an okay fantasy quarterback Dwayne these guys are going to be going as like the QB 25-26 like take them in like a best ball draft at the end as your final quarterback that's the point I'm trying to make don't build your damn fantasy team around Mitch Trubisky not saying that but you don't have to 
Yeah, I think, you know, when you think about the new offensive regime with Brian Dable, right, Mike Kafka is now going to be your offensive coordinator. And just looking at Dable, like he's used to using the quarterback in the run game, you know, not saying Daniel Jones is Josh Allen. We're not saying that. But I think there could be a lot of those elements when he goes and he watches the film and he and he sees that Daniel Jones did some of that. Let's try not to like run him right back out, out there after getting a concussion doing the same thing. Right. But from a standpoint of knowing that Daniel Jones can give you above average um, returns from a standpoint of gaining rushing yards. And now you pair him, you pair him with a coordinator and offensive, a new head coach that has shown they like to do those things. I think there's something to that. And so it's not like Daniel Jones is a guy we're saying you're going to be clamoring to get a hold of, but yes, I do think there could be some value um, late in drafts, you know, with a guy like Daniel Jones, if you have some exposure to him, um, I don't think they're. We'll see what they do at the skill positions. You know, you're going to. We've got Evan Ingram, who's probably going to be moving on. They've told him they would like to have him back, but it's obviously going to be at less dollars. You already had Kyle Rudolph um, released from the team, so tight end is wide open. Um, Galladay will be playing outside. Kadarius Tony. They've even said that they might be willing. I think there's basically nobody they're they're against. I think the right offer on any player on their team, from what I've seen with the Giants, the, the message they're giving is: look, everybody's for sale if you want. So we don't know. Any one of these players could move. But with a guy like Tony, if he stays, especially if Sterling Shepard moves on, we get to see him in the slot. Like that would be really interesting to me (laughs) is to see Kadarius Tony as the number two option getting to play inside. Truly. I mean, Tony's breakout game against the Cowboys reminded me of uh, Justin Jefferson's against the Titans. Yeah, I mean, it was just nasty, though. And he had the catch turn all around. And I know you can draw oh, every wide receiver had dicks turn all, all around. Tony, he did against the Saints too. Like Tony was legit when he was out there on the field last year, but the Giants and Stiller Shepard have agreed to a restructured con- contract. Yeah, I think they made him take a – this reminds me of like when the Jets made Jamison Crowder take a, a pay cut. Like I don't know. Your organization has largely been a dumpster fire for the last five years. Maybe don't make like one of the actual good veteran leaders who's still been producing anyway and take a pay cut. But you know what, Dwayne? I'm not a general manager. So it is what it is. Yeah, I it's going to be the, the Shepard thing yesterday. My bad. Yeah, you're good. But, yeah, it's going to be crowded. I mean, Darius Slayton's hanging out there too. Uh, probably just an offense that other than the quarterback – other than a Saquon, uh, we're not going to have a ton of love for him. But, but Tony, he did 74.4 uh, rookie receiving grade, so nearly right at that 75 mark. Like, so we're getting kind of ticky tack. Like, he, you could technically say, like, yes, he's he's in the tier below, um, but he nearly made that top tier. Had had 201 routes run and 2.09 yards per route run as a rookie. So a lot of really good things for Kadarius Tony. And to your point, just when you go watch Kadarius Tony, like I've gone back and watched most of these guys at this point, there's just something different about him. But yeah, you got it up right now. Like he just, he moves in a way that a lot of other players can't. And that's saying something when you're comparing him to a bunch of NFL players. Couldn't have said it better myself, Dwayne. Moving on from the Giants, let's go look at the New York Jets. I think the big thing here, we know Zach Wilson is going to be back at wide receiver. I would think they're going to be okay with Elijah Moore and Corey Davis leading the way. Maybe they use one of these top picks uh, on a wide receiver. They do need to replace Keelan Cole, Jamison Crowder, Braxton Berrios, all unrestricted free agents. But I think if Elijah and Corey are your top two receivers, you're feeling pretty good about that. The tight end room could be addressed with Tyler Croft being an unrestricted free agent. They still have Ryan Griffin, though. Honestly, they just weren't really looking towards those guys last year. 
I think the biggest thing I'm looking at with the Jets is how they replace Tevin Coleman. He was on the Jets really last year, you know, coming over, having the San Francisco uh, connection with the, you know, new coaches with the Jets. And he was annoying. He was not as good as Michael Carter, but even towards the end of the season, Dwayne, Tevin was going out there, stealing away a handful of carries. So Carter, you know, he, Okay, we had the random like Ty Johnson, Mike White game, but that he wasn't like as consistently involved in the offense. Carter, I think his floor is as a fairly even committee back that's going to get a lot of the pass down work. But my God, man, the ceiling is if they actually give him the true three down role. I think them not investing too much in a replacement for Tevin Coleman could be a good indication that, again, that workhorse role could be on the way. Yeah, I think Michael Carter and Elijah Mitchell, who we'll get to in a moment, like they're kind of fragile right now, right? As far as what what you're paying in ADP versus what could happen. And the reason why is they just don't have the draft capital. I mean, as much as we like Michael Carter, he was a fourth round pick. Now early, he was pick 104 um, last season, which is, you know, almost still, you know, a third round pick, sorry, pick 108. Um, So I think there's a very good chance that they add another back. And I think it's going to be probably an upgrade for Tevin Coleman. They could draft someone. And if they draft him in round two or three, because look, this is a team that definitely wants to run the ball. So we could see them spend a second round pick or a third round pick at running back. They're also going to likely make moves at tight end. And we'll see if they do something as far as fullback goes. Um, They only have Nick Bodden right now. Um, But again, this is a team that's being modeled after the Shanahan style offense. They want to run more of the heavy set. So it'll be really interesting to see what they do in the rest of free agency that may tip the hand to let us know, like, is that are they going to go more heavy? And that helps us know what to do with these receivers or do they stay away from that and re and, and, you know, re-sign a Crowder or a Braxton Berrios and then bring in another receiver that tells us they're really probably going to run more 11 personnel. So I think we're going to have to kind of sit back and see what happens with those things um, before we can truly say, because like, if it's going to be getting to be a little more run heavy, but we only have two receivers that are going to be on the field all the time. And we have a tight end. That's not really a pass catcher. That's good for Corey Davis and Elijah Moore. Yeah, we have to have um, Zach Wilson step up and perform better. But like those would be positive developments for Corey Davis and for Elijah Moore. I think what we don't want to see is that the hand tips where uh, it's really going to be mostly 11 personnel. We're going to be in bad game scripts. We're going to be, you know, throwing the ball all the time. Don't have an element of surprise. Efficiency is not going to be great. And you're having to spread around the ball even more in a bad offense because a receiver in the slot typically demands more than what a lot of tight ends get. So I think those are the things that I'm watching for. But Elijah Moore, people are all in. Like they've, they've already, you know, and I love Elijah Moore and I, Hey, he's one of the guys I got yelled at about, like I had him at 18 and people are like, no way Elijah Moore's going to be at 18, you know, a, a top 18 receiver next year. You're an idiot. And look at it now. Like people are some people he's, I've seen him go in the top 15, you know, so people are getting like almost off the hinge with it where there's not as maybe as much value as we want, but look, fantasy players are aggressive these days. They want that upside and they're willing to even hedge and pay a little more to try and get it, even though that reduces the amount of upside that may be left. So Elijah Moore, you know, is a player that I love, 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 but man, in an offense that's got questions and people are just going absolutely nuts over him. I don't know how much I'm going to get to draft him. Yeah. It's just where he seems to be one of these guys being priced a little bit closer to the ceiling than the floor. But my God, those last seven games before he got hurt, Wide receiver 36, 26, overall 1, 27, 3, 
40 and wide receiver. He's the type of player, like from a macro view, like when we'll do more shows on draft strategy and stuff, like I have to be careful with because I love him so much as ADP pushes up, I'll just keep taking it over yeah. it. I'm like, I don't care. I'm just going to still keep going, still keep going. A lot of good things, a rookie uh, receiving grade of 73.8. So just missed the 75 uh, 1.7 yards per route run, which was the best on the Jets team. Corey Davis was at a 1.74 just underneath him. But with more, it's just like there were so many things we saw. And another player, when you watch him, you're just like, whoa, like just wow. Like you just you love to get your eyeballs on Elijah Moore Tate. It's fun thing to do. So you want to like him. Um, so you got to figure out how do you balance it. But with a player like him, I definitely want to draft him every time he falls below ADP. Because I know that ADP may keep rising and I have to hedge some because I can't be overexposed to a player that you're talking about starting to get priced high. Yeah. So my approach with more probably this summer is going to be every time he slides past ADP, if I'm in a position to do it, I'm just going to go ahead and snag him then. And that's how I'm going to gain a lot of my exposure. Philadelphia Eagles up next. This can be a pretty quick one because they're bringing everyone back. Looks like Jalen Hurts is going to be uh, at least their quarterback for 2022, pending a trade of some sort. But yeah, running back Miles Sanders, still the running back, y'all. Boston Scott, restricted free agent, would anticipate him being back. Obviously, Kenneth Gainwell still on his rookie deal. Jordan Howard is an unrestricted free agent. We'll see about his situation. But tight end, Still got Dallas Goddard. They even re-signed uh, Richard Rodgers. And wide receiver, uh, the only kind of guy that could be leaving is Greg Ward. But even he's a restricted free agent. Dwayne, we just saw, I think Jay Glazer reported that the uh, Eagles were really close to acquiring Calvin Ridley from the Falcons. Uh, that'd be good for Jalen Hurts in real life. That'd be terrible and fantasy for both Ridley and Devontae Smith because we have the most run-heavy offense in the league with a quarterback who – we don't need to sit here and call Jalen Hurts a running back, but let's face it, he's also not exactly topping the passing efficiency charts either. And we have a high-volume tight end also already in there. So as everything stands right now, we can get behind Devontae and Dallas Goddard reasonably enough because I think we, they can condense it down between those two guys. I do not want to see a third party added in this equation because as easy as it might be to pull Quez Watkins or Jalen Rager out of the picture, they are still there. And I just, there's only one ball to go around, man, in a low volume and not very good passing game. Yeah. I, I don't really have anything to add. I think you nailed it. <laughs> we do not want to see them draft a receiver in the first round. We do not want to see them add uh, someone like Allen Robinson in free agency. That's Reasonable. really going it, to, it'll hurt Devonta Smith right now. To your point, you got the run heavy, uh, you got quarterback struggles. You could still, and even with that, it was hard with Smith and Goddard. Like it was usually, it was only one or the other. It was yeah. never both. If you had a third mouth to feed, unless Jalen Hurts, which possible, takes big steps forward in the passing game and they're more willing to throw the ball, which they were last year in the beginning of the season, it was all throwing. You know, so I mean, yeah, it didn't work. So they completely changed the philosophy. Yeah, exactly. But a lot of it was because Jalen Hurts was really struggling with it. So we'll we'll have to see. But to your point, I think you did nail it. I would if I had to place a chip now on what I think their offense wants to be coming into this next year. Is they're probably going to start off with what was winning for them of last year. I mean, that's just what makes sense. Pittsburgh Steelers, another squad that needs a quarterback with Ben Roethlisberger retired. Please, please don't let the answer be uh, Mason Rudolph. For the love of God, the answer should never be uh, Mason Rudolph. But at least James Washington will no longer like, seemingly have to play with Mason Rudolph. I mean, my God, you know, going even back to Oklahoma State, those two have been together. James Washington, Ray Ray McLeod, and Juju Smith-Schuster, all unrestricted free agents, meaning that there should be a new wide receiver three, or maybe one of them come back uh, to serve behind Deontay Johnson. 
Johnson and Chase Claypool. Eric Ebron, also an unrestricted free agent. Obviously, Najee Harris, you know, should continue to play his every down role as the running back. Dwayne, one thing I was very interested to find uh, yesterday, because I want to look at kind of Ebron last year and how much he was impacting Fryermuth because during the first part of the year uh, it was kind of split up between Ebron and Fryermuth that's why we couldn't get behind uh, the rookie because he just didn't have enough snaps and routes even though he was playing uh, pretty well with his opportunity Zach Gentry actually played more than Pat Fryermuth in their playoff game I'm not sure if Fryermuth got nicked up during it or something but are we maybe overhyping Fryermuth a little bit because let's face it he didn't have the volume last year he scored a lot of touchdowns he's good but we're somehow looking at a quarterback downgrade, which I didn't think was possible going from Ben to anyone, but apparently it could be. And if he's going to be splitting routes with Zach freaking Gentry or somebody else, Pat Fryer went to someone that's already getting that top 10 nod. And I'm not so sure he should be. Yeah, I think he should. I think the, the biggest question really is quarterback. Um, remember, we see tight ends. It takes them longer to mature because they're asked to block more. So strength is a much bigger issue. They're playing against more mature men that, you know, have been working out for a living absolutely every day. for However long the last two or three years they've been in the NFL, you come in, you face up against that. Like there's obviously, you know, that's that's a position where you got to really grow into it. But still, 56 percent of the routes last year as a rookie is not bad. What's encouraging is 19% targets per route run. That's almost at the 20% mark that we want to see. And his receiving grade was a 74.8. So I think there's a lot of things to like about talent with Pat Fryermuth. I think the biggest question is, to your point, what's the situation going to yeah. be? What's the environment around him going to be? I do believe that if we see them lay off and not really add someone else to play that third receiver spot that we think worries us, or they just re-sign McLeod or Washington, I think we can go ahead and say it's probably going to be Deontay and Claypool, and then we would have Fryermuth behind those two That'd guys. Be great. But, yeah. but, but Fryermuth could make a push to get more than a guy like Claypool. Like that, that would be in his range of outcomes, right, is to be – like what we talked about with Schultz, he could be the number two target on the team. I think that's that's the that's the top end of his of his outcomes. I think Deontay Johnson or Claypool is likely to be the one. Maybe you get Fryermuth sliding into the two, but the talent is definitely there. Let's see what they're able to do at quarterback and see what they do as the third as far as the third wide receiver spot goes. Important thing you just said though: one of Deontay or Claypool is going to be the one. It's not a guarantee. It's going to be Deontay. I. Gun to my head, Girl Scout walks up. I, yeah, it probably is Deontay, you know, if I'm a if I wanted to bet on it. But again, that disparity between the two guys, ADP wise, I do think is a little uh too It's too much. Yeah. Yeah. Clay poles, you should if you're if you're drafting in best ball right now, you should absolutely be hammering Clay Pole in the tenth or eleventh round. He's the type of profile that ADP will start to climb. People are gonna start to say, Well, Clay Pole looks more like these other guys that are going in the seventh or eighth round as far as his profile goes. And so his ADP is gonna go up, you know. So right now is the time to 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 Make sure you're buying in on Claypool. The only thing that could change that, right, is if they all of a sudden draft a, a receiver in the first round, you know, or they do something crazy in free agency. That could hold um, Claypool's ADP more around where it is, maybe move it down a little. Final five teams, Dwayne. We're parting like it's a game preview pod in season again here. Hitting. I like it. I'm just, I it too. <laughs> I'm just chilling. I saw you cracked open a beer. I need, I need another coffee. I, I'm only at a Topo Chico, but a beer would be good. What, what do you have? Topo Chico. It's just mineral water. You've never heard oh, of it. Oh, no, I didn't. 
<laughs> hey, just keep on thinking I'm drinking a beer, Ian. That's what <laughs> Sounds good. All right, back to the 49ers. Looking like Jimmy G will be traded at some point. I don't want to imagine a world where he's back at QB, so we're not going to do that right now. Should be the Trey Lance experience. Got a nice, uh, you know, seemed like it was one of those agent-induced Adam Schefter tweets this morning about Raheem Moster <laughs> expecting to be in good health moving ahead uh, in the 2022. I think the most logical landing will be back in San Francisco. Perhaps he does follow McDaniel uh, to Miami. Either way, awfully tough to imagine that he is going to be, uh, you know, a feature bell cow. He was a week one starter last year, though, which, Dwayne, to your point earlier about Elijah Mitchell, it does lead to a little bit, I think, uh, fragility that's being understated here. Do I think most of it would, like, put Mitchell on the bench? Of course not. Mitchell was great last year, league high. It was, like, 288, I think, uh, targets and carries without a single drop or fumble. Explosive. He did everything right. Mitchell is still going to be involved. The question is if he's still going to be a 20-carry-per-week guy with a Mostert back. Maybe they add someone else in running back. Debo is going to be involved. And on top of all that, Trey Lance is not going to be feeding him any more targets. He wasn't getting the ball anyway in the passing game. And he's going to be taking away some of that rushing volume. So Mitchell, man, he seems like someone that's really being priced more because of what happened in 2021 as opposed to what we anticipate happening in 2022. And honestly, I think that volume concern stemming from Trey Lance can be said about the rest of the offense. Debo, Ayuk, and George Kittle, they're all great players. But, Dwayne, there's only one ball to go around. This is all great news for Trey Lance. He is going to be a stud as long as he is that starting QB. In fantasy land, everyone else, man, it's a downgrade. Yeah, I agree. I I think you're dead on again with this one. Um, I'm even a little concerned with Debo, but at least he's a second-round pick. Like, you know, with the the season that Debo had last year, I could easily, you know, you could see how people would be all over him in the first round. So second round, probably going to have some exposure, you know, to Samuel. But as far as Elijah Mitchell goes, yeah, it's a six-round pick, 195 overall. We know that Shanahan historically has thrown late-round darts at running backs. Elijah Mitchell was one of those. You know, he's done it with Joe Williams. He's done it with all these guys. He, he seems to, like, find somebody that's fast, wants to throw a dart at it. Maybe he won't this year because Mitchell did hit. But even if that doesn't happen, you still have the issue that you talked about, right? It, we've got so many mouths to feed. Last year, Elijah Mitchell was not the passing down back, only out there for 27% of the routes. Um, during passing plays, and so we saw them really lean more into the other backs or Debo whenever they were in long down and distance or obvious passing situations. And so we just don't know that that's going to change. So I I like Elijah Mitchell, but I do believe that he's in a pretty fragile situation, to your point. Draft capital could hurt him. Free agents could hurt him. Just the nature of the way the offense ends up working out, as we start to hear more, could hurt his ADP. Um, So those are some of the concerns if you are drafting today. Love the player, just a lot of risk with Elijah Mitchell despite. Now, what you can't say is there's a lot of upside with Elijah Mitchell because he is a big play threat. Um, But we could, again, could just easily see passing downs go to somebody else. And you could see even if they re-sign Mostert, all of a sudden if Mostert just picks up 25%, right, of those rushing attempts, you know, and, and Mitchell gets capped all of a sudden. We have Trey Lance getting 25% of the rushing attempts. Now Mitchell's capped at being a 50% attempt back, not involved in the passing game. He's got to come through on touchdowns, and the 49ers have to have a big offensive year to really give you what you're looking for. 
and went to 49ers using a fullback more than anybody. Keep in mind that their number three wide receiver usually just doesn't have enough snaps to be all that relevant. Does seem like it'll be uh, Jawan Jennings, who hey, he had a couple of nice games, but you know, just week to week basis, going to be awfully tough uh, to trust him. Trent Sherfield, Mohamed Sanu, and Richie James, and Travis Benjamin, all unrestricted free agents. So good on Jennings for seemingly getting that job with the Seahawks. The Drew Lock Show. Under center, maybe Geno Smith could be coming back. The amount of disrespect towards Geno Smith and all these, uh, you know, tweets I've been seeing on free agency, unbelievable out of some of you. He was okay last year, everyone, and, you know, probably already talked too much about Geno Smith here. So, Drew Locke, Geno Smith under center, wide receiver. We have Locke and Metcalf for now. Dwayne Eskridge, you know, wide receiver three based on that draft capital from last year. Need to see what happens at tight end. Noah Fant presumably will be the guy, but Gerald Everett and Will Disley are unrestricted free agents. I would think if you're trading for Fant, like, you know, making him part of the Russell Wilson trade, you're going to give him an every snap role. But that's kind of been an obstacle for these Seattle tight ends over the years. So uh, just keep a small eye on that. Dwayne, the biggest question is what's going to happen at running back because Seattle might be one of the few teams that could simultaneously suck but still enable a high-end fantasy running back because they're so damn stubborn about wanting to keep on you know establishing that old run so chris carson this neck injury who knows Pete carroll if you give a damn what Pete carroll has to say about injuries which i really don't these days he claims that carson should be back you know ready to go for week one but man the things rashad penny was able to do at the end of last year were truly special uh seattle said they want to have penny back but also they probably aren't going to be you know coughing up a big contract to secure his services so rashad penny one of the more interesting uh, free agent running backs out there Dwayne, if we get Penny back in Seattle. Is he someone that you'd be willing to treat as a legit like RB2? Because he could have that same role or he could be splitting touches with Chris Carson. And my God, if there is anyone out there that is a little bit injury prone, at least a little bit, it's hard not to say Rashad Penny. Yeah. Uh, I think the thing is with Carson is just, just, I'm really worried about his neck. You know, uh, it seems to be something that could be more of a long-term issue and so that does open the door for Penny. I would rather Penny land somewhere else, to be honest, like just because if it does end up being a committee and we don't see an improvement in play volume and now you're going to lose the efficiency that you did have with Russell Wilson through the air, that's just going to really cap the number of touches we can expect from Penny. Overall, as far as Penny goes, like I love him as a free agent running back, 83.7 rushing PFF grade, which is top of all the free agent backs. Um, that's ahead of Leonard Fournette, who had an 80. James Conner, who had a 73. Wasn't as good in the receiving game, but was really good um, as far as a um, pass blocking goes. He had a 71 grade, um, which is really good. James Conner was first at 89.1. So I do think there's a potential for him to be, and we've seen him be, uh, playing more of a receiving role in the past, not this past year, but we had seen him as a rookie get to play a little bit more on passing down. So I do think there's some receiving upside. He's kind of that borderline every down guys that we know are available, like Leonard Fournette and James Conner. They've shown us they can play in every kind of role. Penny is almost in that group. I went ahead and put him in there as a guy that could be every down, but if he turned into an every down back, oh my gosh, like he's the most explosive guy 
um, in the class. 16% of his carries went for 10 yards or more. The only guy tied with him was Chase Edmonds in the free agency class. Missed tackles force per attempt, number one in the free agent class at, at 0.23. And yards after contact, number one in the class, 4.52. So Penny, definitely the most explosive back available in free agency and I think carries a ton of upside. Obviously, we like Fournette and James Conner more because they've shown they can play every down role and running back again, we always say is all about volume. But if Penny all of a sudden did in, happened to stay healthy and managed to land in an every down role, I think the man, it could it could be huge given I mean these are like these are Javante Williams type Williams type numbers oh, that yeah. we're talking about. So it's a it's a similar type profile. And Penny's only going in the eighth round you know, of drafts right now. So the mm-hmm. actionable thing is I like buying Penny right now because I don't, even if he re-signs with the Seahawks, I bet his ADP still probably moves up a little bit as people start to think about Chris Carson's, you know, situation more. But if he lands on a team where we think he has a shot at being the number one back, he's going to he's gonna skyrocket into the fifth and fourth rounds of drafts. So the last time that we actually have a legit sample of the Seahawks using both Penny and Carson together was 2019, weeks 12 through 13. They split their snaps down the middle, and in those games, um, let's see, Carson had 12 touches in the first one. Penny had 14. In the second one, uh, Penny was at 19 touches. Carson was at 24. There's one bad team that could maybe make this worse work is Seattle. But to your point, Dwayne, it's going to come down a little bit to that ADP because like, yeah, okay, round nine or so, I can get behind Penny. If the public is embracing, if the public is not embracing the uncertainty and there is uh, some concern about who's going to be there and what the touches are going to be, that's what we want. Let's not get too carried away with, you know, that four-game sample, as admittedly good as it was. Three more squads. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, might have, might have, uh, had a little bit of a setback this offseason, you know, depending on how you feel about Tom Brady. Otherwise, yeah, we got some other issues as well. Chris Goblin has been franchise tagged. He'll be back there with Mike Evans. Uh, wide receiver three spot could be filled by Tyler Johnson, Scotty Miller. I don't know. You know, we got Jalen Darden there as well. Does seem like they could, you know, add another receiver if they want. Brashad Perryman is an unrestricted free agent. Tight end, kind of same thing. Cam Brate. They've been able to get out of this deal for years, and he's still just a member of the Buccaneers regardless. Grok and OJ Howard are unrestricted free agents, though. Running back Ronald Jones and um, Leonard Fournette are tentatively not expected to come back. I believe that was Greg Allman from The Athletic um, that was reported as to have saying that. So, you know, we got wide receiver, quarterback for now. It seems like it's going to be Kyle Trask. But running back and tight end, we could see something, uh, you know, big happen. Dwayne, could it maybe just maybe be the Keyshawn Vaughn era like, I, I don't have a big feeling on him, but my God, if we make it through these next couple months, we might be looking at this depth chart going, shit, who else is it going to be? So Keyshawn Vaughn will be the type of player that you want to buy low on the news cycles. There's definitely going to be some point, you know, where you, you might see the ADP if, if, if Leonard Fournette signs elsewhere, that ADP is going to spike. So now is the time to try to gain probably some um, exposure to it. I mean, he'll be 25 years old, so he's still he's a little bit older than what people think. Um, not that that's that's not too old for a running back, but he was just an older, a little bit older prospect coming out. So we'll, I mean, he's actually older than Ronald Jones. I mean, Ronald Jones is a little bit younger than Keyshawn Vaughn, and he remember he was a surprise pick. He was an out of left field pick. You know, he was he was mocking at the time like around 
what pick 160 or something like that. And then he ended up going multiple rounds ahead of that to the Bucks. So it was kind of a head scratcher. Um, so I, I think the Bucks probably made a mistake. I'm not going to get super excited about Keyshawn Vaughn. But if I want to gain exposure, like now is the time to get a few shares because you're not going to want to buy into him. Um, if all of a sudden he shoots up for some reason and then rounds five and six because of other assets that you know you could be acquiring and the, and the question marks that he's going to carry, I think he would be a good example of, even though he's only going into his third season of what I would really consider to be that traditional dead zone running back profile that I would want to avoid if it's going to cost me too much from a draft capital standpoint. We'll talk a little more about Goblin, Evans, and whoever they end up getting at tight end once that quarterback situation is a little bit uh, more clear. But, yeah, breaking um, breaking analysis here, I think it's going to be a slight downgrade uh, going from Brady to anyone else. So <laughs> keep that in mind with these players. Two more squads, the Tennessee Titans. Ryan Tannehill expected to be back under center once again. We have had some uh, running back kind of news coming out of here, though. Darrington Evans was released. Deontay Foreman and Dontrell Hilliard are unrestricted free agents. Um, wide receiver room should continue to be A.J. Brown as the wide receiver one. Also have Julio Jones. I mean, you know, the guy's not dead. I would just say if Julio happens to be there, you know, in the later double-digit rounds, Still Julio Jones, and, you know, he's cheaper than he's ever been. Nick Westbrook, uh, Akini, also already re-signed, should be the number three receiver in three wide receiver sets. Tight ends completely up for grabs. Jeff Swain, Michael Pruitt, and Anthony Ferks are all unrestricted free agents. Last year, those guys would rotate every week, kind of envision the Titans once again rotating these guys. They wouldn't even give Johnny Smith a full-time role. It's it's just going to be very difficult uh, to imagine any tight end they bring in having that role. I'll believe it when I see it. Dwayne, something interesting I found yesterday, though, because when Darren Evans was out of the picture, I was like, okay, well, who's going to be catching the passes at running back? Derrick Henry, before he got hurt last year, caught 18 passes. Now, that's not a ton. His previous career high was 19. So 18 catches in just eight games. He was on pace to shatter that previous mark. Is there a chance that Derrick Henry, who has had to spend his entire freaking career being the exception, you know, to everything that we've seen in terms of expecting regression, uh, just not being able to be a superhuman, getting all this volume on the ground? He doesn't catch passes. He's not necessarily supposed to be as good as he's been fantasy-wise. What if finally, year six, year seven, whatever he's in, Derrick Henry starts catching passes? Because, my God, that would make it a lot easier to get behind him when otherwise we're worried about more injuries or just the drop-off and, you know, rushing yards above expectation based on all the work he's already had. They don't have a pass-catching running back on the roster right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting, you know, looking at that early season um, run that he had, 17% targets per route run, which is pretty good you yeah. know for a running back so i think that there might be something to that like look derrick henry's not a guy who's going to work down the field there's two types of really uh backs from a receiving perspective and i think that the second type most backs can actually do it and it's just you're the check down guy you're the yeah. swing guy everything else is you know they've run off the coverage nobody's open just dump it down you know to the player that aj Dillon can do that um derrick henry can do that um, Andre Williams probably could have even done that. So people get carried away. Whoa, and they're like, whoa, Oh my whoa. God. See, I told you AJ Dillon could be a pass receiver. No, he's not a traditional pass receiver as a running back, but most backs can catch a ball, right? When the quarterback is 10 yards away from them, they're just standing in the flat. Like you could almost all of them can do it. So the ones that have the sticky type of production year over year, are the ones that are actually more part of the passing game beyond the line of the scrimmage, line of scrimmage, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, 
Darren Sproles historically, J.D. McKissick, even Naheem Hines. A lot of those guys, you know, they actually create different types of mismatches because they can do that two, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten yards down the field with angle routes, bullets, all that kind of stuff. So we know Henry's not that guy. He wasn't that guy in college. Like Henry's one of the guys that whenever you look at under 6%, target share in college, like he's on it. And most of the guys that do that, they don't end up being uh, Adrian Peterson. You can go way back. A lot of these guys, they don't end up becoming um, receiving backs in the NFL. So most likely Derrick Henry, could he catch 30 balls? Yeah. If we, anything over that, we would probably be getting carried away, but 30 receptions, you know, on top of, you know, if he has 300 carries, it's still going to be really good. Ian, you know, it's just a matter of, do you want to embrace the potential injury risk with Derrick Henry and all the carries that he has on that body? But, but yeah, I love it though. No one's saying the future Henry like Eckler, but my God, when the guy couldn't even average like two targets per game, it's like, hey, I don't know. He's one of the scariest guys we've ever seen in the history of the NFL in the open field. Maybe just make that part of the equation a little bit easier on the guy. But otherwise, it should just be AJB Derrick Henry show in Tennessee once again. Final team as we hit the two hour and 30 minute mark. Great day to be great. The Washington, not. Not football team. The Commanders now run by Carson Wentz. Sadly, 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 the best quarterback of Terry McLaurin's career, uh, as most would probably have to conclude, should be McLaurin still as the wide receiver one. Curtis Samuel as the wide receiver two. He was he suffered that groin injury last year in June. People, he never had a chance to be healthy when he was on the field. He was playing limited snaps. Don't forget that Washington is paying him as a top 24 receiver on a per year basis might even be higher on a total value uh, basis I believe he is yeah 34.5 million is being paid to Curtis Samuel over this three-year deal that's more than Devontae Parker Robbie Anderson Tim Patrick you know a lot of these freaking guys have gotten these extra deals so I do think Curtis Samuel based on where he's going uh, is still a good buy in di- good buy in dynasty land I believe the guy is still only 25 years old Curtis Samuel don't forget two years ago the guy was a top 24 receiver scored more PPR points than a guy named Cooper Cup so hey just saying happened once probably not going to happen again Curtis Samuel though where he's going I, I continue to insist is a value does seem like Logan Thomas will be back as the uh, tight end one keep an eye on if Ricky Seals Jones uh, returns he was an unrestricted free agent was a nice little waiver wire ad for us last year uh, but should be Logan Thomas once he is back and healthy uh, from that late season injury he had Dwayne the million dollar question and it's unfortunate because I think uh, the answer is going to be he's back but will jd mckissick return to this offense because one of the crazier stats i found last few days only alvin freaking kamara has more targets than jd mckissick among all running backs over the past two seasons i sure would be a lot cooler if some of those go to antonio gibson but i would understand why the commanders would keep mckissick because he's very good at what he does yeah i Look, and right now I've got Gibson really high in my ranks, you know, and it was, again, based off of what if McKissick doesn't sign. And so I think right now the ADP on Gibson as a early third round pick, even if you were to take him and McKissick re-signed, you're still probably getting around where the value should be on a player like Gibson. But if McKissick doesn't re-sign, then I would think 
you know, I, I would rank Gibson, you know, inside the top six, seven backs. And I think that makes him someone that should be going at the end of the first round, early second round. You know, why would we all of a sudden forget the profile that we loved around Antonio Gibson? It's not like he's been a bad player. He's been an injured player. He just happens to have one of the best receiving backs in the league playing in his backfield that actually fits the other prototype that I just talked about. The guy that can work down the field. The beauty of Gibson is we know he played receiver in college. That's all he played. Hardly had any carries. So if he gets the chance, I think we can feel pretty good. McKissick was a receiver in college. I think we can feel pretty good about Gibson um, truly, you know, being one of those elite backs that has an opportunity to be every down, can work down the field, doesn't just have to work behind the line of scrimmage. Gibson can do all those things as well. What's interesting, targets per route run, 23% to McKissick, which is elite, but Gibson, 21%. So when he was out there, they were absolutely feeding him the ball in the passing game. We just need those third down snaps. We just need those two-minute offense snaps, and those were all going to J.D. McKissick. So, yes, it's a huge storyline, and I think underrated one to be following right now is what happens with J.D. McKissick. Last five years, Gibson without McKissick in the picture while he was uh, recovering from that concussion. Gibson, PPR, RB6, 36, 4, 18, and 6. It was a rough first half of the year. Uh, I understand probably a lot of teams that, you know, use that high-round pick on Gibson. Maybe we're not in the playoffs to catch that last little stretch. But, yeah, we found out when McKissick's out of the picture, Gibson with that target floor, you know, does become that every near every week RB1, someone that you will be ranking and that I would also be ranking as. And it's just a case of – you adjust, right? Last season, we were telling folks, look, be careful with Gibson. McKissick is an elite receiver out of the backfield. He's not your normal guy. He can do things that others can't. So even though Gibson is good in those areas, it's probably going to create a committee on passing downs. And it did. Um, the problem was Gibson was being taken, you know, in the early second to the mid second quite often. Every once in a while, he would fall to the end of the second. So now you have a player that could have McKissick out of the way and he's going in the third. Right. So it's just you, you got to read the tea leaves each year and you can't you can't hold on to. Well, I just don't like Antonio Gibson because he didn't score enough fantasy points last year. You got to look at the whole picture of why Antonio Gibson didn't come through the way people wanted him to. And there is a path for him to ultimately really destroy that if McKissick doesn't come through. And if not, you're still getting him for less than what people were overpaying last year. It's very good point. Final thing before we get on out of here, I, I just got to list Terry McLaurin's career quarterback. It's been <laughs> that bad. Carson Wentz, like I said, the best before him. Alex Smith, Dwayne Haskins, Colt McCoy, Case Keenum, Kyle Allen, Taylor Heineke, and Garrett Gilbert. If you want to put Ryan Fitzpatrick in there, go ahead. Although in those two quarters he played, he did not officially target Terry McLaurin. So free Terry, him and DJ Moore, you know, certainly neck and neck for that. Allen Robinson, Andre Johnson, dope wide receiver that unfortunately cannot buy a quarterback. Dwayne, we've done it. We've gone through all 32 teams. I want to do this again the Monday after next. So after everything with free agency is done, we'll go through it again and see, you know, what has all changed as we move ahead to the draft. Anything that you haven't said in these last two and a half hours you want to say now? <laughs> I do have some things, but it's like you just said, it's been two and a half hours and we'll end up hitting them next week. Um, you know, some of the players that are available, we didn't hit as much on. Like people may have wanted us to hear us talk more about Allen Robinson and some of these other guys, but they're going to land somewhere. So when yeah. they do, we'll come back and we'll talk about them as players, where we think they are in their career arcs and how we think they fit into these teams and what the pecking order may look like. So we'll still hit on any of the players that you may think are big name free agents, you know, once they land and we'll make sure to hit all those points. 
For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, we will be back most likely every single day next week. I might even try to get this uh, stream yard hooked up so it's live and we can maybe take some questions as we're going through it. And yeah, to Dwayne. We'll do it live, Ian. We'll do it live. Okay, we'll do it live. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks as always for tuning in. Until next time, take care, everybody.